0: Welcome to the Modern Reformer podcast. The mission of the Modern Reformer is the edification of the saints through the recovery of the historic faith. I'm your host, Mitchell Roden, I'm joined by my co-host, Avery Roden. Nahoy. Mm, ahoy. It is. Back again. Episode 13. Chapter Chapter 11. 11. Yep. Justification. We do have a guest with us. Yes, we do. His name is Nathan Skeens. We think he knows the Bible. He seems like He seems like <laughs> I hope so. We, <laughs> he was walking by here today, and we figured, hey. <laughs> we said, hey, man, you want to be on a podcast? to a podcast? No, no. Nathan and I have known for, I don't know, about a year. Something like that. Some, you know. Something like a year. He attends my church, Cross Bible Church in Kingsport. Uh, we're very blessed to have him here. Uh, we'd like to open the floor to him in the intro, give a little bit of his background, how he kind of came to confessionalism. Always mm-hmm. interesting to hear that journey.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, uh, you've introduced me, I'm Nathan, so I've been here at Christ Bello Church since almost the beginning, back in 2016. Um, I came to faith when I was 14 um, in a uh, Southern Baptist church, so... We won't hold that against you. Yeah, well, <laughs> in Southwest Virginia.
0: Mm, we definitely won't hold that against you.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, came to faith, um... Was uh, there at that church for quite some time. I actually began to uh, teach when I was 18. Mm. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call that wise or advocate for that. Uh, I was teaching teenagers. So Mm. that was an interesting experience. Mm. Learned a lot. Gained a lot of knowledge through those uh, times, those trials and tribulations. So after uh, about, let's see. So that was, the start of that was probably 2011. Um, I first really began to come to Reformed theology, I was actually um, going to sort of a college ministry at Higher Ground Baptist Church in Kingsport, oh my and goodness. met some folks, uh, some of whom you probably know, like uh, mm. Hunter Strayhorn, you know, mm. among others. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, okay, that, that, yeah. Guy, that guy. Mm. So, yeah, met him, and, you know, we we, we actually started a uh, Bible study together, uh, among a few other guys. Mm-hmm. So while we were doing that, eventually um, there was actually a guy that I met there at higher ground who was the um, youth leader at the time. His name was Ryan, and he actually uh, first turned me on to John MacArthur. Mm. So I started reading some MacArthur, um, started to listen to MacArthur's sermons. And eventually, after a while, as I was reading MacArthur and listening to MacArthur, um, eventually I came across R.C. Sproul. And so while I was doing that, that uh, was
0: the end right there. When I,
1: yeah, that was kind of that kind of did it. No. So I mean, I, I went to, you know, so I was what? So I was listening to RC Sproul, and I actually um, probably listened to um, you know the the Holiness of God series, and then after that, I listened to a series he did on what is Reformed theology, and um, over time, eventually, I became um, you know, Reformed. Um, met um, our pastor here, Damon, right around that same time. That was when he first suggested to uh, start a church, which at the time I thought was kind of a crazy idea. Like, why do you want to start a church? There's like a church on every corner. That doesn't (laughs) doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
0: That's still true. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's true.
1: Um, And I mean, as far as that goes, I would say, generally speaking, that's probably true. But in this situation, you know, he was wanting to start. There There was
0: not a reformed church on every corner. There was not a reformed church, but the thing
1: was, Here's the thing. I'm not sure that Damon knew what he was actually wanting to do. Mm. You know, I don't know that he actually had the idea of what he was going to um, actually make the church. Mm. Uh, It certainly wasn't in the wheelhouse at that point of being a reformed Baptist church or a confessional 1689 church or anything like that. Mm. Uh, That came a little bit later. Mm. Um, But eventually he did sell us on it and we started the church and, you know, it started in 2015, was uh, sent out of a church here in Kingsport, uh, started meeting in the Renaissance Center, mm. uh, and eventually, we did, about a year later, moved into our current building, which we are in right now, in mm. Columbia Heights. I That's feel right. like
0: the Renaissance Center is kind of poetic. That it is. Meet there. Yeah, I wish, we should go the back. Renaissance mm. That brought forth.
1: <laughs> well, it didn't quite work out too great for us. I mean, you know, people <laughs> okay, didn't. Well, never mind. <laughs> people didn't. People didn't come. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it actually was. Um, it actually worked better for us here, um, having a devoted structure and right. stuff like that. I so, got you. I certainly wouldn't want to be in the Renaissance Center during the pandemic when they were. <laughs> yeah, that, right? that would have been great, would Like yeah. shutting everything mm, down.
0: Yeah. Mercy.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's um, at some really point in a nutshell.
0: At some point, you read the confession and said, "Hmm, I like this."
1: I'm trying to remember. You know, I'm trying to remember exactly <laughs> huh. when when I first read the London Baptist Confession. Yeah. Um, I can't really tell yeah. you at that, this point. I certainly, I would say um, probably around 2015, 2016. That's when I first started listening to James White. Oh, and you know i would say at that time who? he definitely was
0: they put he, the hooks in then yeah. he
1: definitely was a uh you know a 1689 guy <laughs> and he was definitely you know i mean it's, it was in his uh, youtube handle right you know dr oakley 689. <laughs> so you know i feel like no uh, questions
0: i feel like confessionalism is kind of like seeing in the sense that you don't you don't fall into it it's a, it's a slide it's always a slide right Nobody We're, falls into sin. Nobody really. Some would say confessionalism is sin. Nobody, <laughs> <laughs> <some> probably <laughs> would. <laughs> so nobody really falls into confessionalism. It's always a gradual, nice slide. It's always nice and comfortable, just right down in there. Uh, you think it's accurate to say that the confession really is just a very <laughs> basic systematic theology? Uh, I, I would I'd say it, it, probably it, agree with that. Yeah, I mean yeah. It, it is. It's rather in depth, but yeah. I mean, compared to the, say, Bovink or something. I mean, right? It, yeah. So yeah, yeah it, it's gonna. Uh, hold out the the main things for salvation and unity among people. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. it's
1: a statement of faith is is mm-hmm. what it really is. And right. I mean technically you could almost mm-hmm. say every church mm-hmm. has a a statement of faith, which in some way is an abbreviated systematic theology. Yeah, True. Um, some of them are not. Some of them are better than
0: others. Some um, churches' statements of faith is we don't have one. Yeah. So <laughs> no just, creed
1: but Christ. Yeah.
0: It's creed itself. Yeah, if, we went through that. We we we? Remember episode one? So I do. You remember? That? I was You're there. You were there. <laughs> You're there. <All> right. <laughs> Yeah, we touched that pretty good. <laughs> good. Pleasure so you. I gave Nathan the option. He was kind enough to say, I'll come on your podcast, which does give us some class. It does. I feel better about it. appreciate it, yeah. I feel like we're justified in our existence. <laughs> and so I gave him the option of whatever chapter he'd like. Now, Nathan has taught through the confession. So you might say he's a resident expert. <laughs> so, well, I, we would I, say. I gave him the option of any chapter. He chose justification. We don't know why. We yeah. <laughs> we don't know why he would choose them. <laughs> yeah. So if, if there is a chapter, if there if there's a chapter that stands out, uh, pretty much in any systematic theology, it would be the doctrine of salvation. And here, justification is um, maybe the article on the on which the church stands or falls. Right. Who said that? Oh, it was Martin Luther. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I yeah. mean, you know, you take go back to uh, say around 1517, you know, the early uh, 16th century in mm-hmm. that time period. Um, I mean, obviously, the formal cause of the Reformation was uh, Scripture alone, Sola Scriptura. But, you know, the material cause, I mean, the fundamental linchpin was actually Sola Fide, you know, by faith alone. And that's really when we get to chapter 11, that's what we're talking about is that fundamental doctrine. Oh,
0: absolutely. So you may disagree with us on predestination, effectual call, all that. But you can't disagree with us here. You don't have the option. <laughs> well, you don't have the option <laughs> and, <laughs> and then be a Christian. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm Great. saying. So, <laughs> so, this <laughs> one's kind of important. Yeah, yeah this one's yeah. important. So this is this is the article uh, on which the church stands or follows. I think that's an accurate statement. And Rome's yeah. formal treat, uh, teaching from Trent is anyone that teaches faith alone shall be anathema. Mm-hmm. So that is, in fact, Still the teaching in, of true. the Roman Still true. in effect. Yeah. 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 So they would agree that if you disagree with them on justification, you're not a Christian either. Yeah. Okay. So this isn't unique to us, but is in mm. fact definitional for all uh denominations, all uh what you call it, sex of the Christian faith, whatever you want to say there. Sex sex. S S E C T. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy yeah. on the T. <laughs> <on the> <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So Good. anybody wanted to find justification?
1: Well, I mean, justification is, is essentially the uh, process by which one is made righteous with God. Mm. Um, it is God moving in such a way to where he is uh, conveying righteousness on those who have no righteousness. Mm. Um, it's a divine transaction in mm. which God legally sees a person as righteous, not that they are truly Yep. inherently righteous in themselves but that by a legal definition they are actually
0: made righteous with god mm. made right with god yeah that's a that's a great definition so i'd say it's a divine declaration of of a, a legal rightness or righteousness mm. right righteousness legal rightness so i said uh so that there's no there's there's no it's no happenstance that you come on justification after the covenants right yeah so they're they're building upon that to say this is the covenant of grace this is what it takes to be in it faith this is the effectual call with the action of god about it this is what he does the justification Hmm. so it's building on one another so another dividing line uh is that justification, we believe, as we're going to get into, is actually the act of God, as much as effectual yeah, calling. A, d- or, a divine or, declaration in which God declares you to be righteous, yes. Yeah.
1: I and mean, one of the primary things that distinguishes justification in terms of um, how we would view it versus how the Roman church would view it in that regard mm-hmm. is that um, the Protestant view of justification is, to use legal terminology, it mm-hmm. is it is a legal declaration yep. um, that someone has declared righteous yeah um and in more of a roman view it's almost more of a medical view of they have received an infusion of mm -hmm. righteousness into them uh that must be a continual process i mean it's like almost like you're a a cancer patient with terminal cancer and you're receiving your infusions of chemo Mm -hmm. i mean you know that's something you that continues to you keep doing that and that's what sustains you and keeps you alive in that view
0: yeah, so point two is going to get onto that, but Rome would say the Protestant view of uh, of imputed righteousness, divine declaration, a moment in time which you're declared to be righteous, is a well, legal fiction. Mm-hmm. That that's not yep. that's not true because you're not righteous. So they get into that point too, and, we, and we'll get into all that. But that's a, yeah. So that's a very good the infusion of of versus imputation is the is the crux in which this whole debate turns. So don't you think that a lot of Christians actually live practically like it's an infusion? So a big confusion about confession, repentance in the Christian life of like I was justified, but now I'm not so I get back into that. Yeah, so justification yeah. has to be differentiated from sanctification, which Rome doesn't. So that's the reason you talk about the continual chemo treatments. Is yeah. that they, they have no uh they have no understanding of two separate things, of a divine declaration, legal declaration, and then literally gradually being transformed into Christ-likeness. They don't have those two things. Mm. They're they're both one infused together, which uh, of congruent merit, as we talked about in the effectual calling and all that good stuff. Yeah. So the the, uh, importance of this, I mean, can't be overstated. Oh, absolutely. All Protestant churches should agree here yeah so should yeah so should. this is well, i can't remember who said it, but this is the linchpin of the reformation this and i i think is we'll get there which is important is the right of conscience, the right of men cannot be compelled to do these things that is really the two things of which or at least gordon ran a hand in his book here <laughs> uh, that, that's the that's the linchpin of which justifies the reformation which i agree maybe i heard that from sam waldron i heard that from somebody but i was like yeah that heard makes what sense. now that the, the two things in which the Reformation turns is justification and liberty of conscience. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You can't compel religion. Which right. You know. so that's what they're saying. Yeah. Like, you cannot do this. The, the, the authority in which you have claims of Rome, you can't do it. You have, liber- you have liberty of conscience individually. So mm. that was the two. When it, I would say post-Reformation especially, but that was really what's being teased out. But, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. All yeah. right. Without further ado, yeah, go ahead. We'll jump into the actual uh, confession. They have six paragraphs, uh, quite a few scriptural references. So I, I, it'd be nice to go through all of them, honestly. Uh, but obviously, we, we don't have time. Uh, the big, the big chapters here is going to be Romans, Ephesians, kind of like all the other <laughs> things they confess. Uh, Romans three, obviously, is the chapter on faith alone. Uh, they use Romans four a lot too, uh, about kind of. Abraham and his faith, and how it's always been the same. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that when we come to it. Uh, paragraph one Those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, huh? <laughs> but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. Not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness. But by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law, and passive obedience in His death, for their whole and soul righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Wow, what a statement! Uh, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. So uh, Romans three, uh, specifically Romans three twenty four, justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Romans eight thirty, which we talked a lot about in the effectual call episode. Um, those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified Romans 4, 5-8 to 8, um, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness um, just as David speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works uh, Ephesians 1, 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace so there's there's a lot more um, I, th- I think the key here is that um, biblically what you actually see is the legal fiction. Right? <laughs> what you see is the, the idea that you're actually given this righteousness as a gift and it comes from without. It doesn't come from within. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think the main thing to think uh, of before we really get in, so we, we've gave you those terms and those are good for meditation and study. It, I think what's important here is the imputing of faith. So it's not imputing a faith. So faith is not what saves you. It's Christ which saves you, right? And faith is that vehicle in which that, those things are applied to you, legally and definitively in sanctification. But it is not faith that does this. It's Christ's active and passive obedience. So it's Christ fulfilling that covenant and creating for himself a headship, which you are now in. That's what saves you, not faith. Not faith. Faith is that vehicle or that conduit. And I think we so often don't see that we think uh, faith is what justifies it's by faith alone but it's not faith that is justification of those things
1: i think it's important here we keep in mind that this is really uh, and i would say the emphasis here should probably be on romans because specifically if we're talking about this doctrine this is um the luther doctrine i mean Mm -hmm. in some sense i I don't want to really just give that in the saying that um you know try to say that luther came up with this doctrine <laughs> yeah but luther definitely is the one that rediscovered this doctrine oh yeah, and yeah. i mean really romans was highly influential in the thinking of luther mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. that was how he was saved his tower conversion specifically yeah. where he was preparing to, to for a study he was going to do in wittenberg uh on romans he when he was uh studying he read romans 1 16, 1, 16 um you know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And specifically, that is the moment that was sort of a revelatory moment for Luther, because if you study Luther, you kind of understand who he was. I mean, this was a guy who was. What's the right word? Here? He was paralyzed by a fear of death mm. and paralyzed by a fear of judgment. Mm. And I think almost in a neurotic sense. I mean, most people would have just lifted him, especially in his day. And a lot of them, they were like, what is wrong with you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> because yeah, how much trouble can you get in as a monk? You know? yeah <laughs> i mean you know he was you, his uh, confessor stout yeah. Yeah. yeah he did say like what's wrong with you man <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I mean,
1: well i mean he was he would go in for like hours yeah i mean just confessing <laughs> i mean he'd be in the confession confessioner booth for five or six hours at a time uh, you know just confessing every single little thing every little thought every little deed uh, um you know and which makes
0: would, sense if if that's actually a a way Mm -hmm. Of just it's infusion in which you cooperate with, absolutely. He actually took it seriously. What you'd have to do. He took it seriously.
1: (laughs) He took it way more seriously (laughs) than anybody else. (laughs) Because nobody else was really thinking about that. They're just like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I go in here and say a few things (laughs) that you know. They tell me to say a few Hail Marys, and we're we're good to go. And he's He's he recognized that 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 it isn't doing it.
0: (laughs) Rome, Uh, in its full envision and its height of its glory (laughs) in in, in medieval age, is it's pure superstition. That's Mm -hmm. what it's pure superstition. And it's amazing when you study the history of how just superstitious this was. How would you define superstition? Superstition would be like, um, it'd be a view of, of, which of course in the Roman system, the grace of God is mediated through them. So they're imparting that to you, not, to, not the spirit or God himself. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're mediating that to you. Their mediator, if you're Rome, is the Pope in the church. It's not mm-hmm. Christ himself. So the superstition was the church gave me these beads or I paid the church money, and now I pay. I I pray these certain prayers, and that's going to get me clout. That's superstition. That's saying that these things have heavenly realities that which are compelling to them through superstition. It's like, well, if I do this, good things will happen. Yeah, I
1: think it's important, and I always try to emphasize be fair to Rome in this regard, um, because a lot of people have a yeah. mis- misconception <clears throat> in the sense that they believe that. Um, you know, it was entirely a system based on mm. works, which is not actually uh, not true, true. Yeah. or fair. Um, and it Agreed. leads to some confusion on the one hand because. Uh, you know, people will actually kind of throw that and hurl that the, tr- the Church of Romans mm-hmm. say that, you know, they mm-hmm. only believe in a works-based salvation. Or, you know, when you get something from Rome where they start talking about justification by faith, people are like, oh, wow, <laughs> Rome is talking about justification by faith. They're talking about <laughs> the need for faith, the need yeah. for grace. And it's like, well, they've always believed that. <laughs> Yeah. That was never the fundamental issue to begin with. The yeah. fundamental issue mm-hmm. was not that they believed in great grace mm-hmm. or faith, but they believed they believe that those things were not sufficient in and of themselves. They required mm-hmm. a cooperation, to mm-hmm. use Roman terminology. An
0: infusion. Right? Well,
1: that as well. Im- impartation. One yeah. of the key things here, particularly if we talk about this particular chapter of the Confession, is the difference between imputation versus impartation. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you have the idea of righteousness that's imputed. In other words, it is given wholesale completely, or that which is imparted. It's almost like a piecemeal just giving it out slowly, steadily. An infusion is another way of we, can, we can frame that. Yeah, yeah so they that's actually
0: good. say not by infusing <laughs> yeah. righteousness. So mm-hmm. clearly, as we've talked about over and over, the context of the confession, it's a lot bigger deal... Than people think it is today, even though it's the same amount of deal, mm-hmm. right? Even in our time, the Roman church is still operating hardcore, still, yeah. still massive influence. Yeah. And, um, it's not the same. It's in, not, it's not. In one it's not. It's not. But but the, but the dogma the dogma remains. So if you want to, yeah. if you the wanna, dogma remains, yeah. Francis does not remain no, the no. same. But <laughs> if you want to get into a conversation <laughs> to, uh, with a, a, with a conversation. serious Catholic, yeah. right, If you can find one, a, if you can find one,
1: a, the word you're looking for is a trad Catholic. Yeah, And the thing is, there there's a lot of them have have come to a point to where they're in an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they really are. you're dealing with someone like Francis, and Francis has no idea. He's not Um, Catholic. He's not not Catholic (laughs) in the truest sense. Uh I mean, there is nothing about him that even remotely approaches what is traditional Catholicism. I mean, Benedict was a much Mm better— Oh, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and of course a lot of them were actually arguing that Benedict should come back and just— that he was the actual. I, I'm pretty something's happened to him before sure he died. Benedict, so something's something's going on I'm here.
0: pretty sure Benedict said the main problem with the church is still the Protestants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what he was saying just just a generation ago, okay? That's where they used to be. But anyway. Yeah. And I, th- I think true Catholic believers are probably still there. So oh, sure. For sure. So yeah. if you've never. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went for work related things. I was up at St. Dominic's one day. So they have, and I don't know, I've never been there, but they have the certain dogmas printed out and pasted on the window. Yeah. So I don't know, they seem different than a lot of other Catholic <laughs> churches you make. So yeah. I was like, this looks like a place where you could actually have a substantive conversation about yeah. doctrine. I'll respect that a lot more.
1: Yeah, I think you, I think you could, I, and full disclosure here, I mean, I actually used to be— um, I wasn't a Catholic, obviously, but <laughs> what? <laughs> You're fine. But <laughs> um, actually, I spent a lot of time at St. Dominic's oh, back in you. the day. Um, my uh, my sisters were in a Girl Scout troop. The Girl Scout troop was up there at the church, and <laughs> um, back when I was young and couldn't drive, I spent a lot of time <laughs> in the basement of St. Dominic's. And okay. past time, I would read their books, and that was always <clears throat> an interesting oh, so. experience of of reading. Uh, and and I would say you know they had a lot of the Catholic answer stuff you know mm. oh, okay and that stuff that really was that's Catholic that, yeah that's Catholic <laughs> that's, right that's, that's the that's best Catholicism has to offer I mean right that there, that opinion. really was uh, yeah. and of course they're they're having a hard time they are days. I mean yeah. well well anyone yeah. anyone who is historically Catholic is having a hard time yeah you don't really have a home Francis. in the church anymore <laughs> that's the problem yeah you uh-huh. really don't yep. you really don't and <laughs> I mean I'm I'm amazed at this point I, you know it would not surprise me if the church split again. Mm. It really wouldn't. Certainly something's going to have to... He's
0: going to have to be anathematized or something. I mean, you're going to... Something.
1: Well, I mean, have have you know, it. he's moving in the position now. I mean, he's not come out and said at this point, but he is moving to the point of essentially saying that mm-hmm. um, LGBTQ mm-hmm. unions are, are valid. Well,
0: he's already, he's already come out and said that capital punishment is not, not scripturally backed up, or that's not right, which is completely yeah. against the catechism and the teaching of the church. Forever. So I don't even know. I don't even know how a Catholic, a good Catholic, has a category for that. Like he's teaching things that are wrong according to the Church. It's infallible, and he's infallible. So I don't understand. Yeah. So the reason that's a problem is theology. Their theology, yeah. their understanding of mediation and the Pope, is that he, when he speaks infallibly, mm-hmm. it's infallible. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. They're going to say, well, he didn't speak that infallibly. So it doesn't really mean anything when you get down in the weeds. Like, there's nothing you can lock them down on. Yeah, but. I mean,
1: as long as he is, says stuff that's right, it's ex cathedra. It's, it's infallible. If, it, if, if, yeah. if it's not, well, he wasn't speaking ex cathedra there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. that, that's just how that works. Yeah,
0: it's You un- have to be held consistency on that. And that's one of the biggest points there. Yeah. So they would say, yeah. in this idea of infusing righteousness into them, uh, they contrast that, but by pardoning their sins by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them, nor done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. So that, that touches on one of the five solas, right? Christ mm-hmm. alone. So yeah. uh, when we say Christ alone as Reformed people, I think we tend to think Christ alone is the only way of salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's also true. That's true, I right? think what's highlighted here, though, is that Christ alone is the, the only purpose for salvation. That mm-hmm. it's actually the reason people are saved is for him. Yeah. Yeah, rap. So for him and by him, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Through him. Through him. To him. To him. All those things. All those hymns, Him alone. Him alone. So, um, yeah, it, that's the it, difference between infusion and imputation. Imputation is it's God-given, mm-hmm. as in it's not something you cooperate with or do. But Im- imputation is external alien to you, given to you in a legal sense. Where we get that terminology specifically, and it's important
1: um, to, I think, go to the text in this regard is Romans 4, 5 through 8. That's specifically what they're uh, citing here for the confession, which says, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So, I mean, that's, I think, mission critical in this yeah. situation. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and the examples there that are given, one, Abraham and David. Abraham mm-hmm. is justified. Um, you know, going back to the beginning of the chapter, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Mm-hmm. So this is where we really get our fundamental doctrine of justification by imputation, and this is actually where we get the verbiage because that's specifically what David uses is the word impute.
0: That's Bible, my friend. Well, it is. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's
1: entirely scriptural, and that's important. I think um, if you look at the language here in in paragraph one specifically, they are trying to couch this in the language of Romans. Mm over and over again. One, you see the golden chain of redemption reaffirm there in the beginning of paragraph one, which is those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifies. I mean, where do we get that verbiage from? Romans 8.30. Romans yeah. 8.30, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're getting, we're getting that um, given again yep. so that they are kind of uh, affirming. This is not something that we're making up. This is not something that we've come up with on our own. This is actually something that is straight from the Scripture.
0: I think that's key, and that's really the the only reason we like this confession. And that's really the goal, as we've said from the beginning of the podcast, is like, we like this confession because it's biblical. That's really the only reason. It's not because it's historical, even though it is. It's not because all Baptists used to believe this, basically, because they did but it, all, particular all that's true. You, all particular bad. There's a lot of general bad. There, there there's were some, some general bad. There was some. There's like five. There was a lot. <laughs> no, there were some. I they don't did. Know how they bad. did. They did win in the end, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. they win now. <laughs> Here we stand. At, at the end is not yet, my friend. <laughs> well,
1: that, <laughs> they 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 won. I think we got a while up till so. now. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I, agree with <laughs> you. I, think, yeah,
0: I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think the reason this is so practical is because it touches your very life with god in a in like every aspect so um when we say god loves me as a regenerate person a person who's in christ it never changes this idea of the the reason that you can have this relationship doesn't shift at any point i think that's very important so a lot of people um myself included the temptation of the christian life is to is to mix up sanctification justification it's very practically easy to mess that up and say um I feel very close to God um today I've done well I feel very far from God tomorrow or yesterday uh, I've not done so well Um and they touch on that idea too that that's important they touch on that in this section on kind of relationally with God but um they're quick yeah. to hold up as getting ahead of ourselves that justification is a fixed point and it doesn't shift it can't shift it doesn't change because it's based on something other than you Right you know, yeah, know, and- it's contingent upon Christ. And that's really what point one is saying when it says when we say imputation, it's not imputation of faith. It's imputation of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the reason you have what makes us righteous is actually works. It's just not our own works. It's Christ's works. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason it's not a legal fiction. It's a legal reality because Christ accomplishes this, according to the confession here, rightfully distinguishing in my summation. Between Christ's active and passive obedience. Now, when we think of active and passive, we must think that in Latin terms. So, active here is Christ fulfilling the law, and his passive there is better to understood in modern terms for us as passion, as in the passion of the Christ, the suffering as He, and that's active as well as He takes on suffering. It's just that He takes on the suffering that you and I deserve. He takes on the penalty of our sin and also fulfills the requirements of the law towards us. Yeah, I think it's seen as passive because he <clears throat> receives what the Father wills right. for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he receives it in that sense. Not that he's not actively doing that, but it's it, right. we must be understanding in Latin terms, and that's what they're using here is active and passive, and that's actually an addition for uh, for the Savoy and for Second London here. I don't think that's in Westminster, so I think they add and clarify the active and passive obedience. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, I think effectively what we're talking about that's at that point. Um,
1: You're talking about the divine exchange, I is what we're Mm -hmm. referring to in that that scenario. Right. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that more or less is a summation of what we're talking about here. You know, that has Christ's active and passive obedience there, you know, both in the fact that. One, you know, one of the key things that always has to be remembered is that he attained a real righteousness. And as as righteousness that occurs Mm -hmm. when he comes into the world, he is born. You know, he lives alive for 33 years on this earth, um, fulfilling and obeying every commandment. You know, everything that we did not do, he did. And everything that we did do that we shouldn't have done, he didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. To the T. I mean, he <laughs> he did he did everything. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And so, by doing that, he accrued a real actual righteousness. Yep. Um, and so, when Christ goes to the cross, there is this exchange that takes place. In terms of one, the sins of his people are placed upon him. Right. So he takes. He drinks the cup of wrath as as is described in in John the passive wrath right? yeah he he drinks that cup of wrath taking taking the sin of his people on himself god pours out the wrath that was owed against that sin upon him and he suffers that's when of course he obviously he says you know my god my god why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. um it's a psalm reference but it's also i think it's it, it's very real it's it's I tangible agree. at I that agree. point that he is that he is dealing with a separation separation yeah I um agreed and at the same time the other half of that is that that obedience that God that uh, Christ had in terms of obeying the law that perfect righteousness is then taken from him and then placed upon his people so that God now sees them as righteous
0: amen yeah amen I that is the great exchange beautiful yeah. stuff so that, now as far yeah. as what you said about Westminster Westminster says Um, you just got to be clear i understand that's good (laughs) west you don't want you don't want to step on those no i do not no Uh, no, sir sir. Westminster says by misspoken i will walk it back you have not you have it yeah okay but there is a difference but they say by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of christ unto them so they 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 Uh, they further revelate the the, it's it's just different terminology they further so so Mm. they use obedience and satisfaction whereas they say active and passive so they cl- they yeah. further clarify obedience, uh, breaking that into the two parts. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah so. you've got to get it right. You don't want the president. No, 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 no. no. You know, we no, got no, enough no. problems. Those guys are cool. We, no, we, we got, like them, yeah. we got enough problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. So this last section, uh, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. So... Um, faith being the sole instrument of justification extremely important yeah i think that's the foundation of the protestant movement mm-hmm. as we've said Amen. that being said the nature of that faith is disagreed about so this is saying that god through the instrument of faith justifies yeah. but he is the author of both he's the author of both now, not through compulsion as in he yeah. makes you believe as we talked as about it's on effectual ineffectual yes. that that you willfully come it's mm-hmm. not uh, compulsion but that being said, he gives that just effectual. like he gives all that. Mm-hmm. He might grant repentance, for example. He has yeah. to grant that as well. Yeah. So, so uh, that being said, th- this is a division within Protestantism that's very active right yeah. now mm-hmm. and passive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things where... <laughs> I mean, one of the
1: things about it is the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the reality that God is effectual, meaning that mm-hmm. what he decrees yep. comes to pass, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back to uh, the, the passage, the chapter on God's decree, right? Mm. You know, he has decreed from the beginning everything that is to take place and to come to pass in his creation. Yep. Um, but that does not mean, and I think this is where a lot of our brothers who are brothers and sisters who disagree with us on this point, I think this is what they often think is that we're talking about robots. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Um, We have no volition in these things that we are just, you know, that it's like almost like a tractor beam that just kind (laughs) of latches on and draws you kicking and screaming (laughs) into the kingdom. That's not that's not at all what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the fact that by nature, we're incapable actually of coming. Right. You know, you know, God can make this offer, but naturally the man will not at all. Yeah. Apart you from know, special grace, will not, will not at all. Yeah, prevenient grace. <laughs> <laughs> you know, w- yeah, will I'm not come. But, but uh, I mean, <laughs> the key thing about that, you know, and this is something, you know, I was um, teaching in uh, in Bible study this week on on Ezekiel and specifically Ezekiel's language about the stony heart, right? Mm. And the Ezekiel thirty six. This was actually 36. in Ezekiel eleven. Oh, it oh, okay. it's used there as well. But Ezekiel thirty six is also a crucial. Yeah, they that. I mean, that's a it. very important passage uh, For when sure. talking about this because specifically that the key thing there is who is the I that constantly be. You know, what is the I doing in Ezekiel thirty six, and what is the you doing in mm. Ezekiel thirty six? And so, I mean, when it comes to um, Ezekiel thirty six, well, I mean. I guess probably it might be a good idea yeah, just to go there.
0: Yeah, that's thirty six twenty-five, I believe.
1: Yeah, thirty-six twenty-five. I mean, that's might as well just go ahead and uh read it. <laughs> yeah, take I mean, a rather than was, talk yeah, about it. Uh then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Mm. I mean, the the key thing there is who's working yeah. in this passage. And and I think the answer is pretty clear. It's, yeah. it's God that's mm. the one doing everything here. Yeah.
0: And yeah. that's... Like we talked about in Effectual Calling, which they cite that exact passage. They do, yeah. Mm. And uh, it's really just, uh, you hate to be this guy, but it's just accepting the testimony yeah. uh, oh, of what yeah. that actually says, like you said. Well, it's plain spoken. Uh, plain spoken. It is. Yeah. Um, that being said, of course, we have to balance that out with the full witness, and that's oh, what we try to do, but that doesn't change. The meaning yeah, I mean, of that yeah. is, is, is yeah. not hard to plumb, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's that you have this stony heart, and I will give you a different one. Yeah. That I being God, like Nathan mm-hmm. said. Yeah, uh, so going with the order of salutis, the golden chain of, of what Nathan was talking about. So we've got the effectual call, and that's beginning justification. And that justification is by faith alone the conduit in which that you receive uh, the covenant fulfillment. So this is important while, while they define covenant, what that is, and a correct understanding of what needs to be fulfilled inside the covenant of works given to Adam, which Christ fulfills. Yeah. So because he fulfills those things, now he imputes that coveted faithfulness to you by faith alone, so by his active and passive obedience. And I, I think, uh, real quick, then we'll move on to point two. But I think the reason faith alone is so important, again, is the context. So like you said, I remember when I first, I guess it was R.C., that really kind of came to the defense of Rome in a, in a little bit and said, you know, it's kind of unfair to just say right. that they're a works-based religion only. And that's, once you get into actually reading someone like Aquinas, mm-hmm. right, he says things that you almost would be like, I'm good with. Yeah. Until he qualifies it. Yeah. So, he says like, uh, grace alone, faith alone. Yeah, he's a leaky Augustinian. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, he, yeah. He's not a Pelagian. <laughs> no. so, 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 he says things that you're like, hmm, I completely agree with that. Until three or four pages later when he qualifies, that grace is mediated in this way, Mm -hmm. and faith is defined this way, right? So what we're saying is faith is the belief on Christ in his identity and his work. And as they say, um, receiving and resting on him and his righteousness. It's actually faith in completely something other than yourself all the way. Not like a, I have this much of his righteousness, and now I must do this much of my righteousness. Which, best case scenario, that's what Rome teaches. Mm -hmm. They they may not say it in those terms, but you have this much of Christ's righteousness to remove, depending on what you want to emphasize, original sin or to remove uh, perpetual sins, depending on what category they fall into, Mm -hmm. right? Moral, venial. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the way in which you... um, climb this perpetual ladder up to god and fall and climb and fall and climb that's what we're saying none of that exists there is no up and down there is no um infusion that produces justification but justification produces sanctification yeah so it's we're we're almost saying even though it kind of sounds the same sometimes we're actually saying the exact opposite basically of what rome says yeah yeah and that faith qualified rightly is the supernatural gift of God that rests and trusts in Christ. Yeah, Yeah. so inside the Roman system, the infusion does not mean um, imputation of sin to him. It's infusion for you to do better now and atone for your own sin. Yeah, there's no no real... There's, there's no... there's no uh, A passive side. Yeah, there's yeah. no imputing your sins to Christ. Your sins are imputed to you in which you must do penance or purgatory or whatever else to atone for your own. I think it's well, kind of half and half. The
1: yeah. infusion here specifically is really talking primarily, and this would have been the thing they had in view as the Mass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's... I mean mm-hmm. Probably one of the most blasphemous things that the Roman Church does is oh, the yeah. Mass. Because oh, yeah. effectively mm-hmm. what they are doing is they are bringing the... What they would call is the real body and blood of Jesus <laughs> and taking it over and over again, effectively a continual yeah. sacrifice. There is a reason specifically that a crucifix has Christ on the cross, right? Mm.
0: Yeah. Why
1: Why the Roman church, typically you go in there, Christ is still on the cross because Christ's work isn't done.
0: Yeah, the priest hasn't brought him down yet. Yeah, it mm-hmm. isn't
1: finished. And so that's really one of the most fundamental flaws, especially because that runs so Backwards to what Hebrews tells us about <laughs> the fact that Christ yeah. has finished, it is done, set yeah. down. it is sufficient. He mm. did sit down yeah. when he was finished.
0: I mean, you, you know, in there. It, it is a false gospel, yeah, yeah. Okay, anything else on point one? I could say a lot more, but we should probably move on. Yeah, probably. move <laughs> all, right, all, right, yeah. all right, all right. We've 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 give all the Roman friends a jab and I, and I think so, right? We've we've <laughs> we're well, not enough, enough, but yeah. We kind of just getting started on that. <laughs> yeah, really we are. This is this is like this whole this, Yeah.
1: I mean, one of the things about it like I remember when I was when I was teaching on this this particular particular uh chapter, I mean it's almost like you can't talk about it without talking about Rome.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah you really yeah. can't. Yeah. That's because Rome now, is, is Trenton, is, is doggedly anti Protestant. Yeah. It it has a whole new flavor and persuasion that was not there pre Reformation.
1: Well, I, I would say this. I mean, some would argue, and some have argued, and I think I kind of agree with that to some extent, that the Roman Catholic Church
0: doesn't exist until mm. Trent. Yeah, so, yeah, I would agree with that. that What's Trent? Trent is a council of the Catholic Church in 1540, 1560, which is uh, after the Reformation, post Reformation, which it defines its doctrine of justification and uh, other things. And other things, the canon of scripture, those things. So when we think of uh, Catholicism, we should think of Roman Catholicism. And we, I, I give you two dates it's either Trent or it's the Fourth Lateran and 12 something. So the Fourth Lateran is when transubstantiation in the Mass is clearly yeah. defined. And then Trent is clearly when justification is defined.
1: They've accrued a lot of a doctrine since then. Yeah. But I think one of the things, and I'm going to try to give a rougher mention because I don't have it written down, but Trent does specifically say that if any man confesses that he is justified mm. by faith grace mm. alone, through faith alone, that man is anathema. Yeah. It anathema. I think you said it. Anathematizes. Yeah. Which means um, you're going to hell. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Is yeah, yeah. Let him I mean, be accursed. So yeah. the problem Which means we're gonna burn you if we can. So the problem is is <laughs> saying, <laughs> So the problem is everybody's like, Why are you so rough on the Catholic? Why are you saying these things? It's because you would have to take Galatians out of the Bible and then mm. I would not say these things. Because no, what? I'd still say them. Okay. So Galatians, but yeah, Galatians is very <laughs> well that's yeah. that's a good point. So Galatians says if you're going to teach works righteousness by circ- by by circumcision, just go ahead and emasculate yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, there's no evidence inside of, of anywhere in the book of Galatians that those people didn't teach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. What they did teach is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and also the circumcision. So, if it's only the addition of the circumcision that God, I mean, that Paul says, or God says through Paul, that those people are to be anathematized, how much worse is Rome? Yeah, way worse. How much worse? Way worse. Way worse. It's way more complicated, number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's a, uh, you know, I think it's, um, I think James White called it getting on the treadmill. Yeah. Which I mean, that's mm-hmm. effectively what it is. So I it mean, is. it's like a, it, it's a work, it's a works based treadmill. You're just, you're just running and running and yep. running. Yep.
0: And in Protestantism, that's very common. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I have been there in my faith where I thought, um, I did not understand justification, like just straight up. Well, I think that's important for them to understand. This is a natural
1: inclination. It right? is. I, it I mean, is. every, yeah. every religion. You could really argue that every religion, apart from the true religion of Christ, is this, right? Yes. Work. You know, you have to do something to make yourself right with God.
0: Nothing else out there exists like this.
1: Everything else runs completely counter. And this is the only thing that says that it's impossible to work. It's impossible to do anything sufficient to actually accomplish your salvation. Uh, You need the operation of a mediator. You need the operation of another.
0: Yeah. And that's Christ himself, not the Church of Rome. <laughs> that, that's what uh, the Bible says. So. Oh, it's not Mary either. It's not Mary either. Oh, you know, yeah, she's not co-co-mediatrix mm, and no. co with Christ. Yeah, mm, no, agree, man. Yeah, it's Christ alone. Did you know in the he first century they, they believe that? <laughs> that's the reason we see the mediator before justification, right? <laughs> I wonder if at yeah, Pentecost it was right. a
1: it was a secret doctrine that the apostles <laughs> kept to themselves and <laughs> passed through the popes <laughs> till now. <laughs> Let
0: me tell you something. Let me tell you something. See, come here, Peter. <laughs> Mary, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> they just took her right up there man <laughs> don't write it down just tell somebody else all right the other other <laughs> wild thing is you know
1: the doctrine of immaculate conception right oh yeah that's uh, not talking about christ no that's yeah. talking about mary it's talking mary, about mary
0: is immaculately conceived yeah i don't that's a creedal issue that's a. Uh, I i think that's chalcedon so calvin yeah. would have believed that believe it or not or the perpetual virginity, sorry, not immaculate conception. Perpetual virginity, that's a creedal thing. Yeah, uh, not the yeah.
1: perpetual virginity, but the actual. Yeah, I mean,
0: even, you know. Not the immaculate conception. Immaculate yet. conception mm-hmm. is a much more recent doctrine. Yeah. Than, I'm than thinking that. The perpetual virginity, yeah. Mm-hmm. Immaculate, <coughs> immaculate conception means they're, they're, she's conceived not in original sin. Um, she, uh, she, like Christ, is just yeah. Yeah. So perpetual, born without a sin nature. Yeah, perpetual virginity, what's creed on? I think it's Calvin done. And Calvin would have believed that just because he had accepted the council. Yeah. But, if, you know, you got so much time. Calvin's a busy guy. You know, he can't work with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think, given proper light, he would probably have rejected that. But anyway, eh. uh, so uh, the perpetual virginity pretty much says that Jesus wasn't naturally born. He was kind of beamed out of Mary's body to keep her a virgin, and then she perpetually stayed a virgin. Yeah. And that that goes into a lot of a lot of first century stuff such as, you know, uh the monasticism movement and the, the wrongness of Mary all that stuff that comes out of that. But that's that's another uh Marian dogma. So the the claim, the reason that's important. The claim is that's what the the church is rooted in apostolic tradition. Yeah. the, the Roman claim and that we've always believed the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it develops over time, yeah, and we add information. It's not gradual, um, which right? Which is actually what we can demonstrate that it is gradual and right? <laughs> its development. And yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, they would argue that um, you know this also goes into the Roman view of um, you know what is uh, what is uh, the rule of faith and practice, yeah. which you know Different for them, yeah. you know, they have the authority of they would argue they had the authority of Scripture, but it's only Scripture as defined by Rome, mm-hmm, by Rome, uh, and then of course they have the tradition. Yeah. Um, Whatever that that may be, oftentimes an unwritten oral tradition yeah. mm-hmm. that was passed to the popes or through um, through church leadership till now, and you know, so this they're stuff, the only ones that know it. though. They're the only ones that know mm-hmm. it, and they, they they choose to reveal it when they choose to reveal <laughs> yeah, how it. How very so, gnostic of them! So I mean, sometimes yeah. you know, you could go fifteen hundred years mm-hmm. and any. and not. Uh, and not believe something, then suddenly now it's dogma. It's mm-hmm. something that actually has to be believed. Be believed. Yep. So there were like 1,500 years of Catholics, like actual <laughs> b- believing Catholics that yeah. uh, were not believing dogma a lot of times. It's, it's, it's a kind of a strange it is. predicament.
0: Yeah, I just... Chew. So we're making the opposite claim. <clears throat> yeah. The tagline of our podcast is Ad Fontes, which is to the sources, which is the Reformation cry of yep. abandon all this modern development... And we're going back to the apostolic witness. It's really from the Renaissance, but that's fine. We could say it's from the Reformation. Well, they they took it and they used it, it yeah, in agreed. their own context. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Point two. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all their all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but works of but by works of love. So. Um, the biggest one is James. Uh, hmm. James two seventeen. So faith, uh, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James two twenty two. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James two twenty six. For as the body apart from the oh wait that's that's twenty, that was twenty six. Um, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. That's James two twenty two. Talking of Abraham. So this idea of the nature of faith, right? Th- this is um, what makes uh, imputed faith not legal fiction. It's because yeah. this this imputed faith is never apart from love. And a biblical definition of love is, ob- is obedience to God's commands. That's biblical love. It's obeying the law of God. <clears throat> so this is justification here begets definitive sanctification. That is, you are set apart in Christ to grow and do good works. And that's streaming out of your justification. So when they say it's never by alone faith, what they mean is a dead faith that is just mere intellectual assent and that, that Jesus is who he says he is. It's the same kind of faith that, that Satan has, or the demons. The demons believe and shudder. This is uh, also, true. Also in James. Also in James. So this is actually true biblical saving faith, which is uh, which is always accompanied by lordship of Christ. To say that he is Savior and Lord and is active. That's what they mean by love, is obedience to him. and. Yeah, I mean, as far as um, the issue here with
1: sa- saving faith here, and, and I mean, this again goes back to one of those fundamental distinctions here, and, and obviously, we're going to keep probably talking about Rome through <laughs> yeah. this entire yeah. to this entire thing. That, the, I, I emphasize, I mean, you know, I'm I'm looking back through my notes, and I was kind of doing that this this uh, you know yeah. this week, kind of, kind of going back over those things. And, yeah, it's, it, it comes up over and over again. And the fundamental issue is, you know, the question of alone. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. really separates Agreed. these things. What actually is the fundamental? Because the fact is, does Rome teach that you need Christ? Yes, <laughs> they teach that you need Christ. Does Rome teach that you need faith? Yes, they teach that you need faith. Does Rome teach that you need grace? <laughs> yes, they teach that you need grace. They teach all of these things. The one thing they won't agree with is the fact that you say, is Christ alone, and <laughs> yep. is faith alone, and is grace alone? You yeah. add that alone, and that's the distinction that they
0: can no longer accept. Yeah, I'm yeah. agreed. So that's that's the big difference. Yeah, it's, it's it's faith alone, and really what they're what we would know now is point two is teaching lordship salvation. Yep. Yeah, that's the modern. Yeah. So versus easy, easy believeism that comes out of Dallas, or used to come out of Dallas seminary. Oh know. my. But they would. They oh my. They would have <laughs> been. To, this that's the premier non lordship college. I can't help it. You know what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> they they would have taught that. They would have taught that you don't have to proclaim Jesus as Lord as only a savior. As in repentance is kindly not necessary inside of that system. To like, be fair, the argument there is that Christ alone. They take that and they say, it's 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 not evidenced by repentance. Yeah. So what they mess up on is their understanding of saving faith and its nature, mm-hmm. right? That they're correct in one sense that it is Christ alone and it's nothing in you, but yeah. they take that to a wrong conclusion and say that this is this yeah. means that all it is is repeat after me. Yeah, so yeah. without the effectual calling, without the idea of uh, this is Christ's work in you and the Spirit bringing forth his fruit, then, then it's going to be works-based. But when you come to the true biblical understanding of effectual calling, of the actual definitive sanctification, that means that justification definitively actually not only legally sets you apart, to grow in Christ, and that's a gradual process completed at the redemption of the body. If you don't have that idea of this is the Spirit's work and God's work through you, then you're left with some kind of Roman system. But if if you have that correct understanding is the reason I look more like Christ is because Christ is waging war against my sin inside me, and it's him through me, both to will to work that's what that's what the difference is in the confession here if we uh, want to break it down a little bit more I mean and
1: go really to the fundamental root of the issue um, really we're talking about some sort of um, stripe of Pelagianism oh yeah. is effectively what we're talking about mm-hmm. I mean Pelagius was uh, a monk in England in the early um, fourth century mm. who taught effectively that men were naturally able to choose to do good mm. um
0: Apart from any kind of grace. Yeah, apart yeah. from
1: any kind of grace. He denied original sin. I mean, he indicated that man was capable, effectively, of saving himself. Now, that was rightfully condemned as heresy. Mm. But the doctrines of Pelagius have survived through semi-Pelagianism, <laughs> um, which operates in some sort of camp. And, and semi-Pelagianism, I would argue, is a spectrum. It you is, know, yeah, Of I'm people agreeing. that believe different, different things. But effectively... Pelagius' primary objection was against Augustine Mm -hmm. and his Augustinian viewpoint of effectively predestination, that God decrees, that God sends out the decree, that God effectively calls by his decree, that those things are operating outside of man and his will. And so that really is what we come down to is all of these issues, they're all semi-Pelagian viewpoints. You know, they're Mm -hmm. all semi-Pelagian ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, and Rome is doggedly semi-Pelagian now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as far as the Calvi- the Calvinistic uh, <coughs> side of things, T for total depravity is really where it all begins. Mm. If you waver on that in any sense, yeah, yeah the gospel really becomes a little different, right? Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah, I mean, you that's the importance of seeing scripture as a whole and systematically and, and exhausting its witness because these things build upon one another. It's not mm. a it's not a random collection of books. Uh it's a systematic understanding of God and how he reveals himself. Side note, you know what's interesting is all other religious texts are kind of a random collection of No, oh, they are, yeah. Sayings, mm-hmm. random. It's almost like the book of Proverbs writ large in right. every other religious text. Not a narrative <laughs> unfolding from the creation of the world to the end. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. just a side note there Yeah, I mean but point two that's the main thing is that, that actual imputation of faith is worked out in the life mm-hmm. uh, if, you, if it's not working out in the life if you're not growing in Christ likeness if you don't love him and strive after him you don't have justification that's, uh, I'm teaching through 1 John he can't make it more clear than that if you say that you love the brother, if you say that you love God but hate their brethren you don't have the love of God he can say that because of the definitive work of the spirit and this is the way it will flesh out yeah, not because loving the brethren makes you more No, righteous. not because you're earning your justification, because you have justification. It's yeah.
1: it's revealing what's actually been done. Correct. Right? It's, it's, it's revealing more, that, it's the evidences yeah. of, of what has already yeah. taken place. It's
0: revealing that legal reality in mm-hmm. which God yeah. has declared you to be. Yeah. Amazing. They also use Galatians 5 6. Uh, the only thing that counts is faith working through love, not by works of righteousness, but faith working through love. Yeah. Romans 3. 28, 28, uh, <laughs> is um, justified apart from works of the law. So, uh,
1: yeah, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the
0: deeds of the law. Yeah, there you that's go. his deeds of the law. I don't yeah. understand that in context. That's so, not yep. apart from Christ's deeds of the law. It's apart from your deeds in the law. Yeah, yeah. your deeds. So as what a person, <laughs> a person who's not very literate myself, that's as <laughs> clear as it gets. <laughs> I've never understood the real contention on this issue now. Right, I mean, as as someone who struggled through it, practically, uh, struggling with eternal security, as we would say it now, struggling with assurance. Perseverance. Of, per, yeah. Please don't use eternal security. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just kidding. I like Andy Stanley. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mitchell will have a discussion after this. Yeah. Is
0: <coughs> this is the last time you'll see him alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So um, the the struggle is real. The the thing is, though, the Scripture is clear. I mean, it truly is. That would be our assertion, is that the confession here is really just citing straight biblical text at the end of the day. So Yeah. The nature mm-hmm. of saving faith, point two, is that it produces uh, love and obedience to Christ. And love defined as obedience to the law of God. That's what love truly is. Real. I mean, one of the key
1: examples here, again, goes back to Romans 4. I mean, Abraham believed God and counted it, and he counted it for righteousness. Yeah. yeah. And I that mean, is
0: that from Genesis fifteen? Yeah. 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 And
1: specifically one of the arguments there that Paul makes is that happened before circumcision. That mm-hmm. happens before any sort of observation of the law. Abraham just believes in the promise, and mm-hmm. by that promise he is justified. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's how faith operates in this in this sphere, in this realm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Anything else on point two? Yeah, there's a lot more. We should probably move on from that, too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think we I think we did it justice there. So. All right. Point three. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those who are justified, and did, by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due to them, making a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf. Yet, inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only a free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. Yeah, that's the, probably the best definition I've ever heard of penal substitutionary atonement. So that's the penalty taken upon Christ's substitution as payment. That's what three, that's the great exchange. I think Nathan said that earlier. That's his righteousness for your sin. Uh, and that's the legal exchange here, right? That's the, the legal exchange in three. So whenever we think that when Christ becomes sin, or he, he, he made him sin, he made him sin legally. So that means he's not a sinner like you and I. I don't know how many sermons I've heard of, of, of Christ described in that way. It's just a common sinner in that way. And that's not true. In the same way, when we're made like him, that doesn't mean you're Christ, right? That doesn't mean you're exactly in the same sense of Christ. That means you're made like him legally inside of that. So that's that legal exchange in three, uh, or what's formally called in, in theology the systematic systematic theology of a penal substitutionary atonement.
1: Yeah, I mean Hebrews says on this point, and <coughs> this is one of the verses that's cited on there is uh Hebrews ten fourteen, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Yeah. And I mean that, that kind of says it all right there. He mm-hmm. has it, it it gives you that idea of of full satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, again, absent from the Roman system, the system that the Protestants were fighting against. Um, It uh, paints the picture of the fact that he has done this. It is complete. It is complete forever, meaning that this is not something that goes away, right? This is not something, you know... if I think it was John MacArthur said, if, if you could lose your salvation, <laughs> you, would, you yeah. would lose your salvation, right? You, mm-hmm. it, you would. It, it would happen. Um, we don't stand. You know, our salvation does not begin or end based off of what we do. It, it begins and it ends based off of what Christ does.
0: Yeah, and it's a finished work, like you said. It's yeah. a finished work in which that He sits now at the right hand, making intercession, completing this atonement. Yeah, for the elect. Uh, on that same note. They also use 1 Peter 1 18 and 19, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Same idea, Isaiah 53 5 and 6, pierced for our transgressions. All we like sheep has gone astray, right? Everyone to his own way pierced him. Um, this also, just to, might as well, uh, this, this teaches an actual atonement. Right. Yeah. versus yep. a general potential atonement for the world, an actual atonement that does justify all mm-hmm. those for which it's intended. And I, I think Hebrews is where I would go for that. Right. Yeah, so a general atonement or a non-particular atonement is not confessional in origin. It's clearly taught through the confession. We, we've we've taught it through multiple chapters at this point. Yeah, it's assumed. It's also taught right here in justification. Yeah. It, it's assumed yeah. that when atonement is made, it affects. Yeah, right, it's, it's a, an actual atonement. It's not a provision. Yeah, yeah. agreed um agreed upon that we've alluded and i think we've quoted this already but second corinthians 521 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of god there's one verse that just yeah yeah is irrefutably there that's the great exchange right there yeah and if i mean if you've been in any sort of actual bible believing church you believe these things in in one aspect or another Mm -hmm. you might not agree with All our nuances and what we say the spirit's work is, or how you cooperate with those things, but you would, you would, you would have some semblance of this doctrine of understanding. So the problem is that everybody understands this, nobody meditates upon it. Uh, So we we learn the terminology, we say the words, and then we go on about our day. We don't actually think what the great exchange actually means, the cost in which that Christ bore. The things in which we're responsible for that He takes away, or the the glory and the grace in those things, we don't tend to think about those. So I I would be challenged out of coming out of justification is make this chapter uh, doxological or for the glorification of God and meditate upon those things that we've we've said the great exchange, the the particular redemption, whatever those things are. Amen. And don't just make it an academic exercise which we're like, oh, I've got the vocab down now, I can go clobber the Romans. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I mean, so. this is really this is for us because the fact is, I mean, a lot of us
1: don't aren't really living in the light of this, right? Oh, I mean. yeah, we're not actually operating in this in this mm-hmm. sphere. Uh, it's kind of like you said. A lot of people do struggle with that. They 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 struggle with these things because they do fall back into I've got to do something, right? Mm-hmm. I've got uh, you know, uh, I'm not praying enough. I'm not you know not mortifying my sin hard enough i'm not you know uh, whatever the case may be you know i'm not doing enough to actually be saved and of course what you don't realize is that what you're doing at that point is you're making it i have to earn this yeah Yeah. you know i'm still trying you know i'm still trying to earn what christ paid for essentially
0: i can't imagine living without assurance I can't imagine how people would get up and function if they if they don't understand their relationship to God. And I'm not saying you can't go in and out of that or, or assurances even of the same nature of saving faith. I think you can have one without the other. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying personally, if I wasn't like this, is I don't have Christ's righteousness. If he doesn't stand between me and the wrath of God, I don't even know how you would function. Well, that's because you have it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm <laughs> well, saying, yeah. I, I
1: mean, as, as someone who has, in many points in my life, struggled with assurance, yeah. I mean, it—it's it, not an easy thing. I would it's certainly not. not.
0: It definitely dominates the mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's. I don't some, say you couldn't. You know what I mean?
1: It's—it's it's, you know you, you sort of understand why Luther was the way he was, <laughs> right? You know, because he had no he had no assurance of, yeah. of his yeah. salvation.
0: The, the the key there is if it's true that we stand justly condemned before God, and that's a fact yeah then how could you not see that as the primary issue of your life? Oh, I agree because it is yeah so the answer to this question of how does how can man be made right before God should be he can't yeah right? <laughs> it, that yeah. that's what's so amazing and and then you would think the logical thing is you're forgiven, not that you're justified mm-hmm. that's what's so so at the end that's a good point. at the end of point three that uh, the rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners, um, both the exact justice and the rich grace of God magnified in that, that's another thing that's really lost in our time is what we're really taught is forgiveness, not justification. Yeah. What we're really taught that's is a good point, yeah. the passive side, mm-hmm. is that Christ has taken these sins from you. And uh, logically making you kind of a neutral type of person right? versus a just type of person that Christ has taken these things from you and had given you other things, given you his active obedience. So, um, That's a good point. And, and Nathan brought up a lack of assurance. I had assurance when I was an apostate a majority of my life. And the reason I had assurance is because, like you said, what I had been taught is justification to a profession, mm. and profession only. and That's where you stop. You don't need to know anymore after you make the profession. That's the whole point of the Christian religion is yeah. that profession. You're in there. Because they didn't say, this is the mm. covenant. This is the act of the passive obedience. This is what it means. This is what it will look like. They, they don't give you a full-orbed biblical understanding. They simply articulate justification to you over and over again every Sunday to the point of profession. And that's what brought forth false assurance because mm-hmm. I have the profession, therefore I'm justified. And they're saying this profession is spirit brought and this is what it does, the active and passive the imputation, all those things which are necessary. It's not academic, okay? This is not this is not a, a college exercise for seminary grads. This is to say this is what it means to be justified and without this full order of understanding, assurance is based upon whims and, you know, and emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah how you feel how you feeling right most And of I, felt time, most, yeah. I felt great i felt great the majority of my life yeah. i should not have so you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah false assurance is even uh, probably the most terrifying thing yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's true so they use about the just and the justice and the grace magnified in Romans 3:26 god may be just and the justifier of those who have faith that idea of um, god upholding his standards of holiness And at the same time, being able to forgive sinners. I think it's Paul Washer that says that's really the biggest mystery in the Old Testament is you you see lengthy passages of I'll be merciful to you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll save you. I'll forgive your iniquities. And then you see multiple passages of the soul that sins shall die. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And those things don't seem to have a, a how. How does that work?
1: Yeah. Well, the cross is the ultimate meeting mm-hmm. point for those two realities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the where only those two one. things co- that that is that is the only way that those two things come together. Yeah. Um. And it's important to emphasize the fact that there is an utter lack of merit in mm-hmm. these things. I mean, we right. don't merit uh, the grace that is being bestowed in this situation. Uh, we are rather uh, the recipients of something which is uh, entirely apart from ourselves. Um, I think it's always a good point of reiterating. Uh, you know. Probably one of the most famous verses out there, you know, John 3.16, right? That's a uh, really big, important... What was that saying? <laughs> <sighs> I can't remember. Right? Um, Let's ask Tebow. <laughs> Tim Tebow. <laughs> Tebow and all over the the football. Thing. There we go. <laughs> but uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? That's mm-hmm. That's, you know... That's a pretty famous uh, verse. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a country song about that, right? John (laughs) Cougar, John Deere, John 316, something like that. There you go. But, um, you know, (laughs) but fundamentally, uh, I mean, the big issue there is, I mean, for me, the thing that always amazes me about John 316 when I read it is the fact that it, you know, is that very beginning, God so loved. And in the mm-hmm. Greek, it actually reads, in this way or in this manner, God loved the world. So basically yeah. it's saying this is the demonstration. This is actually what God did to yeah. demonstrate his love, right? Yeah. That he, he sent and, his only begotten son. Right.
0: And that, if you don't get anything outside of this chapter, that's the simplicity of the gospel. Okay? That, it's as simple as it can be. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not simplistic because God so loved the world that he, that He sent His only begotten Son. Why? Because He made a covenant man. He needed someone to fulfill the covenant. This man perfectly does that. He imputes that to you. That's all implicit inside of John three sixteen. If you don't understand those things, you're not going to fully understand what John three sixteen means, right? Yeah. You can't just take that in isolation and say, "Well, God so loved the world that He gave the only begotten Son." What does that do for me? How is that imputed to me? How do I obtain those things? Right? It's simple, but it's not simplistic. Yeah. Amen. Not right. good. Okay, so everybody agree with that? You agree with that, Mitch? No, I, I disagree with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Who let you on here, man? <laughs> <laughs> not everybody agrees. That's uh, for sure. Oh, that's yeah. Uh, paragraph four. That's. I'm just saying that's the importance of theology. Okay, what we're it doing here is not academic. I'm just yeah. saying you have to understand these things if you want to grow in your faith. Practical theology. Yes, Amen. And it's all practical. It yeah. is. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it, there's a. I mean. Theology in the ivory tower, theology in like a vacuum of just like a scholastic pursuit Mm -hmm. is not really very useful at all. It it has to be practical. Otherwise, it's quite useless. Kind of useless, right. In
0: speculation. In all theology. uh, So I'll give a personal anecdote. (laughs) I hate to do it. I really do. Mm. So I went to a conference once, and uh, a teacher there said, The Bible is not a book of theology at all, it's a book of narrative. Now, Hmm. I think he was wrong on that. Okay. I think what he meant was the way in which we gather theology from the Scripture is actually not the way it's presented in a systematic theology textbook. So Paul doesn't teach on kenosis, mm-hmm. isolated from personal application of Im- imitating that. Yeah, right? agreed. So the emptying of Christ... Is a doctrine kenosis, cr- rightly understood. Let's say it that way. Yeah, there's well, a the Greek word. View of that. The Greek word. The Greek word, right? In okay, good. Christ laying aside his uh, exercise of his divine attributes. Yeah, he teaches that in the context of the imitate this, right? Yeah, right. of personal of humbleness. Of, yeah, yeah. And so it is in all uh, the New Testament epistles. For example, it's always in a context. It's never yeah. like here is the doctrine of sanctification. Right. It's always this is what you mm-hmm. are experiencing. Right. Yeah. So agreed. That's a good point. Not that you because you need systematic theology to understand it. Yeah. I and mean, that's just good. But teaching. then you have to apply it. Right. Agreed. So anyway. Uh I didn't shoot that guy or anything. <laughs> I think I think what he meant I agree with. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. So he doesn't write to uh Corinthians and say, Hey, this is how you should do church discipline. They're saying, you know it's like that's yeah. the whole treatise. It's saying we have this problem. We have this practical problem. What should we do? And, he, and then he takes theology. like right. This is what the then spirit, he applies it. Yeah. The spirit is in you, mm-hmm. right? So don't go with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pretty how, straightforward. It, so. it, how much more practical can you get? <laughs> yeah, I agreed. Agreed. All right. Paragraph four. God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit in time does apply, does actually apply Christ to them. So we we definitely need some scriptures for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galatians three eight, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "In you shall all the nations be blessed." I'll come back to that one. 1 Peter one two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. That's the opening of Peter's first epistle there. And almost the greeting that you are, you are set apart this way. This is, this is the work of God that's been applied to you. And he breaks it up. We'll just spend all our time, I think, on this particular one. Because it highlights everything this particular paragraph says. So uh, where, where are they getting this idea of the Father's work, the Son's work, and the Spirit's work? Not only First 1 Peter 1-2. But First 1 Peter 1-2 has it all packaged up in one verse, so to speak. So this idea of the foreknowledge of the Father. Is encompassing predestination and election, primarily. Uh, so, systematically, this idea of foreknown is is um, a pre love of a person, so to speak. This idea of knowledge not being knowing what you will do, but the knowledge of this is what you will be known right. in the biblical sense. As Adam knows his wife, like loving, mm-hmm. yeah, in that yeah. sense. So, foreknowledge would encompass both election and predestination, and other places say that clearly. Um right. the sanctification of the spirit that idea of being set apart by him and this application given to you. Yeah, that's and, the definitive yeah. part of sanctification. yeah. And then for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood that old testament picture of you're in covenant. Mm-hmm. This is the obligation you have. That that comes directly from sorry. Uh No. <laughs> <now, laughs> <the, laughs> So you're in covenant, I can't and, and the idea of sprinkling with his blood comes directly from the Mosaic Covenant, that he sprinkled the book and all the people, and, and what that signified was you're under obligation to obey, and if yeah. you don't obey, um, it actually magnified both things, both there will be an at- at- atonement for you, and also you're under obligation if you don't obey, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... Kind of like, but uh, you did, but I did, <laughs> but I did interrupt you. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, I think it was somebody I worked with. I asked him, it was over, um, over Easter, and I said, "Do you teach your uh, grandkids about Eastern? he said, "No, I need to make, I need them to make their own decisions." <laughs> and I, I immediately thought, <laughs> like. Uh, Okay, so they can, so when we understand this, is people can not be Christians, and that's a decision, but that's like kind of like saying that I wish to murder somebody. Like, you can be a murderer and choose to be a murderer. It's just completely and utterly wrong. So when you say they have to make their own decisions, like, yeah, they have, they have the decision to be made, but the decision is, in fact, disobedience to God and eternal fire and damnation. Okay, so it's not like, this is kind of like a, a, an equal decision whether I want cherry or or, or, or vanilla ice cream you know it's not the same which was kind of like what he was saying but anyway <laughs> they, have they have to make their own decisions like so they shouldn't be taught about easter i'm sitting there like what yeah that's Gosh. a very I, i've run across that sentiment uh, that has nothing to do with this chapter but so, don't, so yeah so don't don't <laughs> <laughs> it, just comes, it comes in the mind no i'm just saying so <laughs> don't <laughs> teach your children hey you cannot be a christian if you want man <laughs> like it's fine, you yeah. know. Yeah, that's okay. It's like no, no. You cannot be a Christian and, and and suffer the wrath of God eternal an eternal hellfire. Like yeah, that's sure you can do that, but that's that's what you're gonna get. Let's yeah. let's clearly let's, let's say that.
1: Would not recommend.
0: <laughs> would not. <laughs> there you go. So the sentiment, yeah. though, I think, is very popular. Like uh, I have my <laughs> faith, but I don't want to force that on my children. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing is. The thing that's lost in that is the state of your children mm-hmm. and that what actually loving them means is, yeah, right. is to point them towards the truth. Mm-hmm. If we believe this is objectively true, we don't care about the offense. Right. Yeah. So, and, and ultimately, that's because of the pagan idea of humanity and its autonomy. And the, mm-hmm. and oh, the, yeah. the biggest thing is don't violate will. You just can't do it. That, that's the chief sin. Be nice and don't violate will. I just will. Had, I had never, I've never heard that nor have I ever thought about that. Like when I teach my children about Easter that I need to wait until they make a decision. I'm just sitting there like, what? what?
1: Why would you, I mean, would, I wouldn't that be a testimony, right? You know, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, daddy, what, think? daddy, what's Easter, <laughs> right? Uh, well, Easter is when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. That's a good conversation opener, right? To actually give the gospel, is it not? I thought so.
0: I, this guy didn't. So, <laughs> so yeah. sorry to interrupt. On a complete side note about the rearing of children. Um, yeah, you should make them Christians to the best of your ability. Uh, not compulsory, uh, just like God doesn't compel you either. But at the same time, um, we as Baptists tend to view our children as pagans, right? right. Um, whereas God has providentially placed them in your home. They have a great blessing, yeah. yeah. Uh, having
1: This is probably a low bar, but church should be mandatory for your children.
0: Agreed. 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 So church for us was never mandatory. And it showed in my life. Oh, absolutely! So, common grace. You shouldn't look at your nine-year-old and say, "Hey, buddy, you want to go to church today or not?"
1: It's <laughs> it's get up and go to ch- get up, get dressed for going to church. Unless that I mean,
0: child is like John Calvin, then they're going to say, "No, I want to play with these trains or something like." Okay, <laughs> we, you can play with the trains after we get back, buddy. You know, we're going to church. Yeah, you definitely shouldn't ask my two and a half-year-old. My children actually like going, so you know. Oh, yeah, but anyway, yeah. blessings. So uh, they are they are women though. So. That probably helps, just as far as them sitting still and things. Oh, I okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not in so, kind of preferred status. I don't so in, in, in one <laughs> verse, so to speak, in the introduction, in the opening greeting that Peter gives to his audience in his first epistle, he highlights the triune work of God in salvation. So what they're confessing here is that God, specifically God the Father, from all eternity decrees and ju- to justify the elect. That is, it's going to come to pass because it's decreed. That's the decreed of will of God on display. And Christ, in the fullness of time, did die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they're not justified personally until the Holy Spirit in time does actually apply Christ to them. And that's the triune work of God in uh, saving sinners, right? Yeah, I mean, so that's particular redemption. And then that's a reaction, a positive, I mean, a negative antidote against uh, like a, Eternal regeneration, or that you're regenerate from childbirth, from from infancy, if you're in fact elect,
1: or just a general calling which is available to everybody. And it's very specific here in the language. I mean, this is a, I mean, this obviously is a Calvinistic document, and this Mm, is a Calvinistic paragraph. Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you do have to deal with that. I mean, that's one of the things you have to come to terms with, Mm -hmm. right? Is, um, you know, most. I would I would I would say this. Most Baptists I run across do believe in total depravity, right? Yeah, that, that's one of those those fundamental doctrines that everybody believes in. But the question you have to ask yourself, Art, right, if you really believe this about people, right, that mm-hmm. they are dead in sin, they are rebels against God, they hate everything that God that that God stands for, yeah. what would honestly compel someone who by their nature is that way? To actually become a Christian, a change of nature to 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 be something, you know. I mean, are going to say, "Well, I know, I know, I love my sin. I know, I love everything about who I am. I know, I love this stuff." And God but- loves me too, I- <laughs> so just the way you are, baby. <laughs> but you know, but man, I, I want to give up all of this stuff, right. and I want to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you you really have to ask yourself how does, and you know, I think it's. Important to point out that obviously, you know, like take for example, Wesley. Wesley had to figure that out, right? He had to come Mm -hmm. up with, all right, well, how do I, all right, I do believe this, you know, I believe in this depravity thing. (laughs) I also believe in this free will thing. So, how do I make (laughs) these two (laughs) things work? And the answer was convenient grace,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which, (laughs) you know, which I have never ever even heard a citation of a scriptural reference ever for it. There isn't one. That's just not there. It's John 3.16. John 3.16. That's the citation. <laughs> the believing ones. That's what the, Whoever shall <laughs> believe. Well, the disagree. believing ones. Yeah, so, pass up w- w- all go. the believing no, ones. Oh, that sounded nice. I yeah. like that. What side of there is the general atonement made for the world? And the general uh, fairness of God in His character. Okay, yeah. right. that's So it's not a, it's not an actual scriptural. Thing. Well, yeah, yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's it's it's
1: not fair. So therefore, yeah. prevenient grace. I mean, it's it's kind of this magical thing, right? It's this magical grace that's given that makes that puts you in a middle ground <laughs> mm-hmm. where you can now decide. You yeah. can now either accept or reject. It's it's. But yeah, yeah it's not scriptural at all. It's not. At um, all. You know, the reality of the situation is it's something that was trying, you know, we already had a, some brilliant minds who had, um, who had to come to discover the doctrines that we're talking about here. And I mean, it's just a situation I would say when, when it comes to what we call Calvinism proper, you know, the idea of uh, election of a predestination of, uh, of particular redemption um, that particular one, which really is for most people, the hardest one to swallow. Right. Mm. And, you know, and also one of the toughest, to, I mean, because it isn't, I mean, I would say it's not a doctrine that is explicitly there in the text, but it's it's everywhere it's implied. Yeah. It's necessarily contained. There you go. Because if you take all of these premises together, you have to come to, all right, well, how does someone actually become made alive? And then obviously we have descriptions like Ezekiel 36, which give us a picture right. of how that actually works. And it really becomes apparent that God's the one that's doing this.
0: Yeah, we, we must never hold scripture to the standard that it has to be explicitly word for word stated to teach it. No. Like, because at that point, you're not. How do you get against. So is abortion wrong? The answer is yes, because of principle, not because it's directly addressed.
1: Well, let's go even more fundamental to that, the Trinity. I Trinity, mean, exactly. You, know, you yeah. don't have. Uh, there is nowhere in the Trinity that. that there, there's nowhere in the Bible that gives an explicit doctrine of the Trinity, but oh. it's something we gather. The
0: KJV people would say there is. Oh, we're talking about, <laughs> talking about 1 John like, 5, 7. I have not had him, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh. I don't know why I bring up these things. I can't help myself. In lieu, <laughs> in lieu of 1 John 5, 7. Yeah. We do have 1 Peter 2 that we've already talked about. <laughs> that yeah. That specifically highlights the three members of the Godhead mm-hmm. and their specific roles. Yeah, but that so, language is not used. That language is completely derivative out of the teaching of Scripture. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So... So if you're looking for explicit statement as in the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and those three are one. They're, like they're not, the,
1: the Son yeah. is not the Father, the Father is not the Son. Right, John yeah. 5,
0: 7 does say that.
1: They're all co-equal <laughs>
0: co-eternal <laughs> co- persons. Uh. Only in the Latin does it say that, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this idea of being uh. raised for their justification, that's direct language from, gosh, hang on. I want to say they cited Romans four twenty-five, which says, uh, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Ah, so just seeing as how we have a theological podcast here, how do you connect how do you connect the raising of Christ to justification? Yeah, so the raising of Christ is the the capstone of justification because then he takes the penalty death and then rises again and conquering over that penalty. So that's because Christianity in its in, in its rudimentary form is not uh, ethereal. So the wages of sin is your physical death, okay? And then that is not going to be ethereal in eternity. That's going to be here and now. So it's not a, a, a divide between these things is, I would say, the main thing. So the conquering of the grave is the conquering of sin. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It's, it kind of goes, well, I mean, goes back to. I mean, it kind of goes
1: back to you know, you know, in in the same vein of Romans 15, yeah. right? You know that fundamentally, you know, if Christ is is not if Christ is not raised, we're not we're still in our sins, right? Mm. Yeah, fundamentally. That's we because are, you and I are gonna die, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. So I mean, the the reality of the situation is that if there is no resurrection, none of this actually. Matters Matters mm-hmm. None of this is actually real In yeah. terms of You know It was the sign It was basically the signature that said That Christ is Lord That yeah. Christ has done this And mm-hmm. Christ has accomplished what he said He he
0: intended to accomplish Yeah, yeah. So the spirit doesn't go into the ground The body does Right So the body must come out of the ground In order for this penalty to be paid In order for him to conquer those things As a man God man As fully man 100%? Well, fully. We'll say fully. Fully, fully man, fully God. As, I, as that, paid the penalty, which is death, right? and then rose out of that and conquering over it. Hmm. Without seeing corruption. So you don't think he just rose in the hearts of his followers? <laughs> 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 no. No, this isn't the trip. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't that kind of podcast. Right? Christ
1: rose in the hearts of his followers. He's life.
0: alive in the hearts <laughs> <laughs> of somebody, we don't really want to say. What that sounds like
1: is. a that is such a Hallmark movie type of cinema. <laughs> I, mean, that's just like, I don't yeah. know where the
0: PCA you know, teaches that like, like or not. Santa,
1: Santa lives in our hearts, right? You know,
0: that, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the same kind of notion as what <laughs> we're, we're He getting. may not actually come down the chimney. <laughs> he may not come down the chimney. <laughs> but he's there, guys. <laughs> but he, he lives <laughs> he and dwells in our <laughs> hearts. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so Christ uh, actually <laughs> physically raises, is physically alive and sits physically at the right hand of God ruling and reigning for doing his enemies Mm. and that one of those enemies is death which he subdued at his resurrection which will come forth in time when he returns and defeats it fully
1: and he's putting his enemies under his footstool
0: yeah Psalm 110 some 2 and for friends All right, good so yeah I would tie tie those things together Mm. if that makes any sense before I so paragraph 4 got off subject is saying that God the Father decrees to justify the elect that's a massive statement uh, that's the starting point of this idea of the work of God being solely, uh, how people are saved. So he chooses which ones, and he decrees that that's going to fully come to pass. Mm-hmm. That means it's going to happen, right? So that's step one. Uh, then Christ in time is Galatians 4.4. 4. In the fullness of time, Christ comes born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, and everybody's under the law. So, <laughs> so this, uh, in the fullness of time based on what? The, the decree and the plan and purpose of God mm-hmm. alone, right? Not not because finally Rome had some roads. Because you hear people say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> finally <laughs> we can get the gospel out. Rome built roads, and he came at the right time. Well, listen. I mean, the
1: providence of God also yeah, does include true. the fact that... That's you know, part of it. That's just I mean, not the ultimate thing. You know, yeah. there, this was a unique point in history, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a reason God chose this time unique, yeah. um, to do what he did. I mean, and, and, I agree. and, and obviously, you know, I mean... I think it was Octavius Winslow who said oh, effectively oh, that you, oh know, <laughs> you know that 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 uh, our Lord actually you know created the tree that he was hung upon. He he nursed or he raised from infancy the men who would nail him to the cross. I mean, That's he crazy. was in complete and total control of all of those things, all of the elements um, of what was going on here, and yeah. so because of that, I mean, you know. It, was it it's not that it had to be this time but on the other hand maybe it was this was the time that that yeah you know i mean this was god set up everything for this time yeah. for
0: this moment yeah that's a good uh example of god's meticulous sovereignty yeah so the fullness of time is multifaceted the fullness yeah. of time and the plan of redemption making sure th- making so that's use of means to gather in the nations right So he uses Rome, uh, the evil agent against him, as a means in which that he spreads his gospel. Yeah. yeah, It's amazing to think of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, nevertheless, they're not justified personally until the Holy Spirit in time does actually apply Christ to them. Yeah. And that's even... We talked about that yesterday. Well, uh, on the effectual call. hmm. So, Calvinism... Okay. So, hang on. Yeah. The... uh, last paragraph touches on the old testament idea yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. so that's always been that way that's that's what's truly amazing is that this way of salvation the work of the father the work of the son the work of the spirit before and after the completion of the part of the son so to speak is always unanimous, it's the same. Yeah, um, the, the atonement is retroactive Yeah, and f- and forward-active. I don't know the word for that, but it's forward-looking as
1: well. Well, it's important here that it makes a distinction that, I mean, it, it distinguished things that I think a lot of people don't distinguish their minds and why they object to this idea so much is, yeah. uh, you know, the idea of God eternally decreeing these things. So this happened, you know, and you can go back to Ephesians 1. I mean, this is something that is eternal that happened in ages past, and yet it actually really occurs in time when he saves us personally, right? Mm -hmm. And that could be, yeah, I mean, that's true both forward and reverse, like you said. I mean, that goes backwards towards the saints of old Mm. and forwards to us now.
0: And we we talked about that in Effectual Calling. This is a straw man of the position to say, well, you're never really lost in. Another straw man, a a good one, is that, uh, similar to that, is that you're saying there's no personal need Mm -hmm. of repentance faith. In fatalism, uh, absolutely yeah. not, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's constantly used against the idea of predestination, election. Isn't All of those
1: things are the means by which this actually occurs exactly. in in, mm-hmm. in time. And right. I think
0: I think the real indigestion people have is that they don't have that category of means, and uh, there's no balancing of God's decree versus means that He uses to accomplish. I think that's the mm-hmm. reason it's dangerous, and I've seen this firsthand on a couple instances. Well, people have this idea that God's outside of time. Now, what they mean by it most of the time is true, as in he's not bound to it or, or caught up in it. He only works inside of time. So just because Christ is decreed from the foundation of the world does not mean that Christ doesn't literally have to come wrap himself in flesh and, and live the perfect yeah, life. You and see die. you see so you see it in the life of Christ. As you see, basically all doctrines really reach their fullest expression in his ministry and his life and what he reveals. But in in, in the Gospel of John specifically, you see not my time, not my time, not mm, my time. Right. You see the Garden of Gethsemane saying, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. You see you both see the, rallies. the full humanity of Christ on display. Uh, and MacArthur, the greatest American theologian, <laughs> um, MacArthur wow. brilliantly, I think, says this is what you should actually expect from a righteous man. I'm going to get you a shirt yeah. made with that on it. That'd be fine. Okay. Um, I'll turn it inside out and wear it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his point he makes... In his teaching on the the Garden of Gethsemane, the natural question is, if he knows from all eternity that he's come to accomplish this work, how can he possibly mean, yeah. let this cup pass from me? And that's because he's a perfectly righteous actual man who doesn't mm-hmm. deserve this penalty. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful And presence. he puts on the weakness of the flesh. He inhabits a post-fall flesh. Yeah. Okay. So my, my point, I guess, is that decreed from the foundation of the world and an even a higher way to say it than the scripture is Christ is slain from the foundation of the world at the same time Christ by his own human volition has to submit to that Yeah. and he does that where we come forth in time for we never do and uh, it's a beautiful presentation of how that balances
1: and and I would make the argument here that I mean at the end of the day it's kind of irrelevant to make an argumentation there because it's in the scripture right I mean this is not something that's like uh, you know the Bible actually says that this is what God does. Isaiah 46, <laughs> yeah. 9 through 11. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Yeah. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, say, my counsel shall stand, yeah. and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So, I mean... It's and, and, and this, I think, you know, this makes it very clear. It's not just God knows things, right? He's yeah. actually doing That's these important. things. That's mm-hmm. important. He's actually accomplishing these things. And if he's accomplishing these if I mean, if he's got everything, you know, done completely all the way down to the movement of a bird, the flight pattern of a bird, mm-hmm. then how can we then at any point think that he doesn't have
0: salvation? You're right. Yeah. worked out it's, yeah when you see that you god your god becomes much <clears throat> much bigger than he currently was before <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I, th- I think so that's just for recognizing biblical categories at this point the decree and the accomplishment inside of time it's, yeah. it's rightly dividing and recognizing those two categories and i think at this point so i've had the conversation in the past that with a minister that you know all this stuff may be true but it doesn't it doesn't really matter nobody cares like we're we're practic <laughs> yeah. right. all this stuff may be true but there's no point fighting about it or teaching it dogmatically so i disagree with that yep. because Probably it's too. revealed yeah. and it's given and it actually does produce rightful worship right, right. It, yeah. and they use john 17:3 in the previous chapter for effectual calling and that john 17:3 is they will know you this is eternal life that they know the father and jesus whom you sent so that how do you know the Father and the Son, it's not esoterically like you said. It's mm. because they revealed themselves through what they do. Yeah, and if you don't know what they do, then you don't know them. Right, well, in in some sense. Mm, so, I agree. It's a beautiful thing. Agreed with that. Anything else on point four? No. Well, no. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> Nathan? Nathan? Oh, I think what, what I, I mentioned, we mentioned ethereal resurrection. <laughs> we, we went a over the place on hey, that one you do. were talking about some dude in Easter, so I don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of got it started. Yeah, thanks for that. Paragraph five. God continues to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure. And in that condition, they usually do not have the light of his countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, beg pardon, and renew their faith in repentance. Yeah, I think the fatherly aspect. So you also have to think of, uh, of biblical categories. So the, the held up of repentance unto salvation and continual repentance is needed for sanctification or growing in, in fatherly pleasure, let's say it that way, growing in relationship to God. Uh, and when you do not do that, like we, I think we mentioned this at the first of the chapter, you begin to grieve the Spirit Right? You you grieve the Spirit, you profane the Father, and He will discipline you because you are His child and bring you out of that state. That's what it means by fully and finally falling there. Yeah. So this is, uh, you can see the practical pastoral application of this. And what's interesting about the confession, in almost every point, not necessarily every point, but there's always a pastoral section, a pastoral yeah. paragraph. And this is certainly it here, is that... Um, Holding up two things at the same time, the one thing john ten twenty eight um, I give them eternal life, they'll never perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand, so that's the aspect of justification being fully and finally atonement being made, and, per- and that's, that's the change of relationship to God that is never changing, yeah, so yeah. now you're going to heaven mm-hmm. okay we'll say it you are like adopted, that. yeah yeah mm-hmm. you're All a different same. thing. they also use uh psalm thirty two five uh, which is that confessionary psalm, if you want to say it like that, of David. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll, I'll confess my transgressions. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Same idea, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And uh, they actually use, interestingly, Matthew 26:75, And that's that Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times, he went out and wept bitterly. And I think they're they're using that to highlight repentance. Yeah, that that Peter, unlike Judas, who goes out and hangs himself, <laughs> Peter goes out and right. weeps bitterly, not just for the, the sake of weeping, but because he truly repents of his evil. Right, um, and that actually, and, and God restores him. Right, right, clearly. Jesus comes personally to him on the riverbank and restores him. Right. right, so you see, this is also anti lordship. Uh, the opposite of this is anti lordship. To say, "Well, <clears throat> I've been justified; now I can live in any sin I wish, unrepented and not I shouldn't feel bad because I'm dead to sin." Yeah, there, so, so that's we, completely against the confession here in, <clears throat> in the course of scriptures. But of co- well, that's that's <clears throat> in Romans, right? Shall yeah, we continue
1: uh, it in sin that grace may abound? Yeah. By no means shall we do that. I yeah. mean, how, how, yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, what we have here is we have, I mean gonna use the word eternal security. Yeah. Right. Amen. We, we have okay. that Amen. We have that well, I mean, you know, perseverance of the saints. I mean the saints will there persevere. Inevitably. I'll add inevitably one.
0: preservation. Preservation. Preservation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Romans eight thirty eight to thirty nine, for I'm persuaded yeah. that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. So Amen.
0: that's this aspect They'll never fully fall. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. Yeah, fall away. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So stumble. You can stumble. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as we've all been in some sort of practical ministry to people in our lives, I'm sure I would wager that we've all encountered the guy or gal who has this argument, and here it is. So you're saying (laughs) (laughs) that a dude goes out, gets wasted, smacks a bus full of kids, (laughs) and dies. He's going to heaven. Max. Okay. So,
1: not saying that it's impossible. <laughs> no. um, you know, is that a, is that a, is he in a good spot there? <laughs> I mean, no, he's not in a good spot there. I mean, I would certainly say, yeah. you know, that kind of behavior evidences that maybe they weren't converted, possibly. Uh, possibly. Um, but yeah. you know, it, it you know it is possible Christians can fall. Christians yeah. can be in sin.
0: Yeah.
1: Christians, I think it's even possible that someone could fall, be in sin, and die in the midst <laughs> yeah. of that sin. I mean, that, that's certainly possible that that could happen.
0: So that, that, yeah. what, what's meant by that argument is, surely you can lose your salvation. Yeah, yeah. So, so the rebuttal that I often give is, why do you think he would go to heaven if he didn't do that? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so <clears throat> it's, to make that assertion, to have that legitimate practical question, right? Because it is legitimate. Um, the rebuttal is you actually don't understand justification at all, do you? If you ask that question, yeah. you're asking the wrong question. Yep. So, Paul, so Paul says if you're dead to, if you're dead to sin, how can you live in it? That, mm. That's what he says there. Romans mm. six, yeah. Romans six. So his point there is and yes, you have been you have died to sin, you've been justified. So because of that, because of your change in nature, you no longer will live in that. Mm. That's the ultimate thing. That's perseverance. Is in you will now put this to death and look towards Christ. The, the confession is going to define a visible saint, someone that which you can give assurance to, someone that does not uh, nullify their confession of faith by heresy or or uh, or sinful living. So someone that's not caught in those things.
1: I mean, here's one thing that I that really bothers me a lot, because I see this especially from independent fundamental guys, is they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll say this person or that person has gone to hell. Yeah. Like, right. for example, I think I, I recently saw one about Jimmy Buffett, where they were saying Jimmy Buffett's in hell. I right. mean, could he be? absolutely i mean certainly his <laughs> lifestyle <laughs> is is uh not one where i would be confident but mm-hmm. the thing is ultimately i don't know his heart i don't know what happened in the final moments he was here on this earth right um i, I there's a lot of things i don't know you tell me jimmy buffett's dead. yeah jimmy buffett died you've been dead for well yeah what? <laughs> for, for a number of months now <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. My gosh wow I didn't know that. Sorry to break that to you. No, that's <laughs> devastating news. <laughs> but yeah, I, I know, mean, I know. I guess <laughs> the main the main point there is that you know we don't really ultimately know. So even in the situation in this in this hypothetical scenario, do I know where that person is? I don't know where that person is. You right. know, Does, or, or is the fruit good? No, the fruit is not good. Mm-hmm. um so that that does and and that's one of those things where it, it's a good encouragement that we ought to um, keep that in mind yeah. you know one of the key things all of us should be asking ourselves i mean if the lord came back visited us like right now in whatever place we're at and whatever we're doing mm-hmm. would we be you know would we want him to be here at that time <laughs> would, would this be when we want you know in this moment where whatever we're doing you know, would that be where we want him to, um, to find us? Um, because that, that's the reality. We don't, we don't know when our time is up and when, you know, he's going to visit us in that sense. And so in that regard, we ought to keep that in mind, you know, I mean, that's not a, you know, getting drunk, (laughs) <laughs> slamming into a bus and <laughs> dying is <laughs> not the ideal yeah. way to go. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not its not where I want to be uh, in that situation. Right. Now, that being said, those things do not disqualify the grace of God to a person's life if they have truly been justified. They just right. don't. I agree. Um, you know, we are not justified by works, and we are not lost mm-hmm. by our works either. Right. So, you know, that stands in Christ.
0: And it, that's, that's the key. So the difference between what really needs to be addressed with that objection which that objection or whatever flavor the the debate about eternal the debate about eternal security is a ab- that's a fine usage okay i'm just saying most of the time the way eternal security is used is i've made a profession now got stuck with me you yeah, know right mm-hmm. that's not it's not Truly it. That yeah. is the way that it's used in most Yes, that's uh, the way that's used. Are, that does, does that doesn't mean that's what I used to believe when I you, said eternal security. You're <laughs> secure, yeah.
1: don't worry. You made a profession. Right. I mean now he's stuck with you, right? You know, yeah. This guy is doing drugs, but he's just a baby <laughs> Christian. I mean <laughs> and, and you laugh about that, but I've I've heard that. I mean yeah. this guy's a this guy's a baby Christian, yeah. you know, he's and and uh, you know he's just he he's having some hard times. It's like well no he he <laughs> I'm, I'm really he's not persevering. He's yeah. not persevering. You know yeah. it's God is not giving him victory in his life. This is <laughs> right. a major this is a major issue. We, yeah. we need to be treating this person like they need to hear the gospel and need to believe in Christ. Not that yeah. uh, he's a baby Christian who needs to I don't know. Yeah. You know, do you know, better.
0: At five, I think, right here, point five, really holds out the need for robust Christ, uh, robust church discipline. Mm-hmm. Because the way yeah. in which that he's going to call you to profession, one of those is through church discipline. One of those is to say, hey. Call, call you to repentance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's the way it's used in Corinthians and throughout the New Testament <clears> is to say, hey, this guy is in habitual, unrepentant sin. What do we do? Put him outside the church. Why, yeah. because you hate him? No, for him to repent. And what's interesting is in that passage, that you put him outside of the church for the destruction of after, the flesh. After a long line so, of things. So yeah. that his soul might be saved. Yep. Yeah. Amen. And so that's for repentance. That's for the man's good, right?
1: Yeah. And the cool thing, I think, in that situation, especially when we're talking about you know, 1 Corinthians 7, is if you go to 2 Corinthians, it seems like, it worked. I yeah. agree. I agree. Like, <laughs> I agree. like I agree it actually, he tells them to do that. It seems like that person was restored. <laughs> yeah, it seemed and like it they were welcoming him back in there. Yeah, now. they, they were able that. to welcome him back in. So, I mean, and it they does work. they
0: didn't want to welcome him back in. And no. they had to write and say, no, let him back let in. Let him back in. I agree. And, I think that's what that is. And that, yeah. as you can see, I think First Corinthians, and this is my opinion. Now, hopefully it's better. I think that's incest. I think that's what's hold, held out there. So you can see the grievous nature of that. And, yeah. And then you see the grievous nature of the radical forgiveness of that. Yeah. Right? So both of those things need to be held out and done properly, yep. which is not very well exercised at all, uh, the majority of places. So this is the practical outworking of justification, you might say that, that yeah. it, uh, in a justified state. It's a fatherly okay. displeasure which produces in you repentance. So, mm-hmm. so because God perseveres, because his work is present in you, you will do these things. You will f- stumble and fall like it's like possible, of course, that we all do daily. But he restores us to these things. Uh, that's because of of his work in us, because of who he says that we are, and because of his work. Like like I said, because of his work in us. Yeah, and they do cite First John one. First John is the is the place I think yeah. that deals with this most practically. It's like um, it's like on the one hand, if you say you don't have any sin, you deceive yourself. Right. Yep, right. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't think that's I'm not. I wonder how Wesley it, got around that one. I don't know. <laughs> no either. Uh, it's not if you say you don't have original sin yeah. <laughs> or if you say you didn't have sin in the past that Christ died for. It's if you say that presently you don't have sin, yeah. you deceive yourself, if and you the truth yeah. is not in you. Mm-hmm. So you have that aspect. Then you have the aspect of if you abide in the teaching we've given you, then you are truly a child of, of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that the evidence of this is a true abiding relational standing. So why is it, for example, and that I don't think they cite this either. But in the Lord's Prayer, which is teach us to pray. And it, it, it's not teach us to, I don't think, it's not teach us to pray. How do we pray in this one instance? But how do we pray? What's the principles what, of prayer? Yeah. Yeah. And the first one is forgive us our sins. Oh, yeah. It's right? continual. Refa- Obviously, once you, our Father art in heaven, yeah. hallowed be your name. Once you understand your relation, yeah, forgive us our debts. We have, so we have to distinguish between repentance unto life and continual repentance. Yeah. Yeah. a fatherly, A fatherly relationship. And that's that. not done. No, so I agree. So here's the two opposite ends of the error. One, repentance unto life is all that's necessary. Mm-hmm. That's the anti lordship dudes. Okay, yeah. you got that. Then you have repentance unto life is always perpetually necessary. Yeah. Right. So if you if you don't confess when you're not forgiven, yeah, that that was the majority of my life. I said, well, I, I, if I got if I forgot anything else, let me confess that to you too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's <laughs> which just, you have forgotten, that's not the father relationship that's held out in Scripture. This fatherly displeasure, what's true. Now, if we put somebody out, if you if you go through with this church discipline and then they don't care, they don't want a relationship with the father that's good implication of that they were not of us, right? Yeah. So if you send somebody out of the church, ultimately with the nuclear football of, of church discipline, right? <laughs> so if you go forth, if you turn the key <laughs> and you go forth, which is so if you do those things and then they don't ever come back, that's because they're not of you, right? Yeah. And you can say that definitively. <clears throat> so, yeah. so godliness, justification, produces repentance. So it's, not, not, it's not, not that it's a struggle or something in which that you have to put on and take off other things, but it will occur and you will desire this father relationship. So God never justifies anyone that he doesn't also say the belly up for fellowship with. That's that's also anti-lordship stuff, to say that God justifies you, now don't have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Well, he wants a continual abiding relationship, yeah. Yeah. and that's held out in five here. Yeah. So practically, both things are extremely practical. The one, yeah. the truth of eternal security rightly understood— is that it's the work of christ applied to you it has nothing to do with you it's outside of yourself you've been given this gift have peace have have comfort in that Mm -hmm. from that truth comes the truth of sanctification progressively uh mortifying sin killing it in your life and in the in the light of the grace you have uh, being honest with god (laughs) and saying yeah that wasn't good Mm -hmm. um And I should be cut off from you. Right. But I'm not. And acknowledging your adoption and your heavenly father's relationship. Yeah. And his radical forgiveness. Things such as that nature. Yeah. So a pastoral. Right. I mean, David's the perfect example of this. David murdered a man, uh, committed unspeakable adultery. That might be worse than the bus and the kids. That may be. Yeah. He murdered a man. At least you're drunk. Yeah. In that (laughs) example. (laughs) David did it soberly. He tried to get somebody else (laughs) drunk. So. So you see David in his Mm -hmm. ultimate sorrow that he has for that sin and understand the the grievous nature of his relationship to God there because he's grieved him, but he's grieved him as a father. And he repents to him as a father. Mm -hmm. Not a change of relationship or nature, but a a restoring, uh, Mm a forgiveness nature in that that aspect. I think practically from experience and also from uh, over the years, the first thing you want to do in this state of fatherly displeasure is remain. You oh, remain actually. in that and you flee. Um, and you do the opposite of humbling yourself, begging God. pardon, and renewing faith and repentance. Um, and that that's funny that that's not natural, even to the regenerate person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, is that the opposite of that is actually natural. So right, rightly mm-hmm. understood, justification is by faith alone. Rightly understood and qualified, sanctification is not by faith alone. Now, let me hear, hear me out before you, mm-hmm. start, before you throw anything at me. It's by faith alone as it is His work in you, sanctification. It's His work for you to will and to work. But to, in order to be sanctified, to be more like Christ, we put on things, we take off things, we grow in it. Okay? It's not, it's not a, a, a moment in time. It's something that gradually occurs. That's the reason you need to the, 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 the differentiate between justification and sanctification. If you don't, like Rome, then you have very, very bad theology. <laughs> Damning theology. Yeah. So, you want to get back into Rome here? No, I was just saying uh, that. <laughs> passing. So, they would say, yeah, obviously, this would definitely be against the entire Roman system of. Yeah. of yeah, there's no father relationship. The you know. the, the uh, sacerdotal priesthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the way Sacramental that, and sacerdotal. Sacramental yeah. is in the sense of what they do, sacerdotal is in imputed you from the church. Yeah. Yeah. So the way you're restored to this relation in their view, uh, is very different. Yeah. Right. Because the mediation is different. Yeah, the mediation is through the church and through your confession. And the imputation is always to you, right? So these things aren't to Christ, and then his relationship through Christ, it's always to you and your atonement for it.
1: I had sort of a diagram at one point that I came up with to kind of illustrate the idea of how salvation worked in the Catholic system. We love a good diagram. Where basically, you know, you have like the uh, justification circle. Like, you know, baptism puts you into the justification circle, Uh and Mm -hmm. mass and confession and these sort of things, they... They keep you in the circle. You know. Yeah. And of course there's the distinction of venial and mortal sin. This right. is actually where that kinda of comes into play, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, for I guess the audience a venial sin is one which is considered um, a light sin. It's a sin, yeah. that, it's a sin that does not put you out of <laughs> justification. Marcy's
0: Pearl would say a peccadillo. Yeah, a peccadillo. <laughs> yes, a peccadillo. Yeah. Uh, a
1: mortal sin is one yeah. which puts you outside of the justification circle. Like yeah. you commit a mortal sin, you're yeah. outside. So a mor- uh,
0: mortal sin destroys the grace of justification. Yes. Exactly. A venial sin does Yeah, I've al- So I feel like I knew this at one point. Yeah. So when you commit a mortal sin, you have to be re justified. You have to be rebaptized. No, no, no. You have to confess and take the mass. Yeah, and be read justified. It's
1: a it's heart. a more it's a more uh, involved process than you would for a venial sin. Yeah, you get like, more things. You have more things you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's like you know, say for a venial sin, they're just like, okay, go ahead and say seven Hail Marys. Well, you got to do mm-hmm. a few more things. <laughs> Give us some money. <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> yes actually there probably yeah. is there there probably is an exchange give, of funds give us some
0: penance there 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 are there
1: are acts of penance yeah. and then there's taking the mass and confession and then eventually you're restored
0: and of course uh, that's why purgatory's there yet again the fires of purgatory you gotta burn off whatever you gotta get rid sins. of the venial sins yeah, whatever you i mean left, yeah. you
1: know the it, it's almost like a ledger like you gotta balance the ledger out right like mm-hmm. you you have to you have to balance out um you know righteousness with um, your sins, and they had to yeah. kind of offset. And for those who go into purgatory, most are going to go into purgatory because their their venial sins don't offset yeah. uh, the righteousness they have accrued to their mm-hmm. account.
0: So they got to continue. So paying. they got to continue paying. But their justification isn't destroyed. But their justification
1: right. is not destroyed. So um, yeah, as you can see, it's starting to get a little, so, <laughs> a little complicated. So if your justification is destroyed, you then, you hell, yeah. then you go to hell. You go to hell. So, yeah. it, so yeah. if
0: you commit a mortal sin without repentance and, and restoration to justification, you go to hell. That's now, why I like the the
1: justification <laughs> circle because it's yeah. like you're in the circle, you're, you're you're good. You're going to heaven. You may have some sin, but you're you're still ultimately on the track. Yeah. If you're outside the justification circle, you're off the track. You're going to hell.
0: So our family comes out of a very independent, fundamental, almost charismatic, even though I'm not sure exactly what was thought in... in kind of like a uh, Babdicostal. Yes. No, I don't know what was really thought about mm. spiritual gifts. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think that would have enough depth. That right. in, it was really that. just... Yeah. But that idea... Dog and pony Not show. that exact idea of purgatory. So, So the same hardcore independent idea that would say, I hate Catholicism and all that's not true. Then on the back foot says, but... Practically, we believe the same thing about salvation. <laughs> like, it's amazing yeah. that mm-hmm. we say, all that high church Catholicism, we hate it, we're out here in the sticks, we do our own thing, baby. <laughs> but then, but then, they say, well, you can't die in a lost I like state. The, I like the Bapticostal, that was pretty good. That's <laughs> massive. Around our area, costalism is bigger than Baptists mm-hmm. ever thought about being. Yeah. Um, the free wills, The yelling, like. the sweating, the spitting, that's costalism, yeah. And that's what we have. So, all... Uh, not condemning that out of hand you know what i mean uh i kind of am though
1: I'm, I'm condemning the spitting i mean
0: <laughs> no spitting, no. Not it can't be spitting. Can't be spitting it's not very scary it's
1: 2023 let's, let's not let's not we got there was a global pandemic going
0: on people here <laughs> spitting cnn's gonna pick this one up <laughs> anyway my point was i'm i'm hardcore familiar with the idea and i think most people are of not dying in a state of sin yeah, right? mm-hmm. And all that's actually from Catholicism. Oh, yeah. You so know? that's the reason I said last episode on Effectual Call. If you don't have that understanding of justification, if you have some sort of quasi-cooperative uh, perseverance in and of yourself type system, Armenian system, that's a popish Rome. Mm. I stand by that statement. That is a popish Rome. You are much, much closer to Rome than you would care to admit. Mm. Yep. It's amazing.
1: Think. Uh, let's see here. It's James White it says you're swimming in the Tiber.
0: So, well, yeah, mm. getting ready to swim in the Tiber. So, yeah, <laughs> putting on your swimming cap. Got your flippers. You <laughs> get ready to go in. man. You're out there in the Tiber <laughs> you're somewhere. Out, you're out there just just treading water, just waiting for someone to call so, you. Consistency. It may se- it may seem a old debate and old struggle as to the context of this confession. It's really not at all because what we have today is a lot of popeless Rome. Yeah. Not because they're not independent and fundamental. Because they are, yeah. but because their actual doctrinal beliefs line up much closer to that than they do to Protestant Reformed yeah. doctrine. Yeah, you're on Erasmus's side yeah. versus Luther. Yeah. So uh, the idea of building up the saints f- from the recovery of the historic faith. Yeah. Uh, the 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 motto, if you will, of the podcast that that <laughs> <laughs> the hope there is not that you would now be confessional for the sake of it. But that you would understand biblical doctrine. Yeah. Right? That, and understand where these issues are The lie. historic faith, ultimately, that's revealed in the scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, anything else on point five? No, uh, just go to point six. Very practical. It is, yeah. Do okay. church discipline. Strive yeah. with one another. Help each other to fight sin. I'll say it that way. Okay. That's what your father requires of you. Hmm. Personally and corporately in the body. It's a nice hat. Looks good. Nobody else can see it but you. Because this is an audio podcast, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, sees it. Nathan sees that hat. Yeah, I see that
1: hat. Nathan has a Tennessee hat on. I do. Mm. Today we're playing Kentucky. Mm. You should, probably a, won't win.
0: You don't think so? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one of those things. Kentucky did beat Florida, and we didn't beat Florida. So there's there's that. Oh,
0: Kentucky now. They're, they're a bit different over there. Uh, I don't know. They're a bit different. Basketball Wild, school. Wildcats.
1: <laughs>
2: it's
0: a basketball school. Wildcats. <laughs> all right. All right yeah, We've good. made it. We're at the last point. Yeah, go ahead. The justification of believers under the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. Yeah. That's massive. We've already kind of touched on that, but I think that's extremely important. Galatians 3 uh verse 9 is the first citation, and it says, "So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith." Mm. Romans four, which is where that's where it's at, right? Romans four is where that whole idea is really rooted. Uh, four twenty two, that is why his faith, Abraham's, was counted to him as righteousness, cited from Genesis fifteen. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So in some sense, what's actually asserted is the faith of Adam Enoch, and the latter, (laughs) uh, through Abraham, through David, through the whole elect of Israel and the elect of all times are unanimously the same. They're all saved by the same Father, Son, and Spirit, Mm -hmm. and they're saved in the same manner.
1: By the same atonement, yeah. Well, there's the same gospel. I think one of the things that should also be added there is Galatians 3, 8, which says, In the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nation of the earth be blessed. And I think that's such an interesting thing. Uh, To get some context there, if you go to uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, that's actually where we get, um, that's actually the context of what Paul is talking about there. Uh, when he says preaching the gospel, because, you know, I mean, at least when I think about that, I'm like, all right, well, how'd that work? How'd yeah. that work? You know, and so, you know, Genesis 12, through three says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what Paul says here is he is, he is identifying this pronouncement to Abraham, uh, this one saying that you shall go out of your country, you shall leave your your father, your kinsman. Um, you're going out, in essence, on a limb, right? Mm-hmm. You know, into, <laughs> For sure. yeah. in. I mean, you know. This is back in the day. There, there, there were no interstates. There were no cars. There, there were no there. There were no cell phones. There, there was no Skype. You know, like you're you're the dark dark times. Yeah, you
0: know
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you are leaving and you are gone. You know, you I mean you're you're never going to see your family again. Effectively, uh, you're going to be in this far country, but you shall be a blessing, and I will bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, I mean, that kind of goes right along, I think, going all the way back to the very beginning, you know, Genesis chapter 3, you know, mm. verse 15, you know, all the way back at the fall, mm. effectively, where we have that first, um, in theology, we call it the Proto-Evangelion, or, mm. or the very that first... That was well said, like yeah.
0: Evangelion. Yeah. I used to say that Proto... or uh, <laughs> Proto, proto Proto-Evangelion.
1: Proto-Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's it. That was it. That's exactly what I sound like. That, <laughs> <laughs> so that their first gospel <laughs> 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 That's it, man. That's it,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, this it's the, it's the first it's the first iteration of the gospel. I mean, for context, you know, obviously Genesis three, you know, at this point this is the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh Adam and Eve have sinned. Uh they are being now punished, death has entered into creation. Um all sorts of bad things. I mean, to me, I imagine this is like the worst day ever. I mean if you ever had a bad day, this is a bad this is day. Worse. This is much this was a much, much worse worse day, uh-huh. worse day than that. But in the midst of all of that darkness, death and destruction, effectively God gives a you know, gives the indication that there will be a renewal and he gives it in his pronouncement to the serpent who he punishes. And then Genesis three 15, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Mm-hmm. I mean, effectively this is the beginning of the gospel, right? This mm-hmm. is the first indication, you know, we're talking about this seed, this chosen lineage. And specifically we're talking about a person here. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about just seed or a lineage in the sense of singular a, a seed, group yeah. of people. We're talking about singular, yep. a seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the seed in mind here is Christ, that he will be the one that does this, that his heel will be bruised, the cross, right? Mm-hmm. But he will ultimately crush the serpent's head. And yep. that, I would argue, is the resurrection. So you oh. had that from the beginning. Amen. You had that from the beginning, right? He crushes <laughs> <Amen>. the servant's <laughs> head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's where the continuity goes with Genesis chapter 12 when you talk about the fact that all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's here where Abraham first receives the identification yeah. that this seed is coming from you,
0: Abraham. Yeah. And that's, you know. that's the belief he has, Yeah, mm-hmm. that not just, hey, I'm going to be great. I'm going to heaven now. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no. no. That's so, usually what I say. Uh, right. <laughs> it's true. It's very well. And that highlights the necessity of systematic theology. Like this yeah. allergy against um, putting things together is also very prevalent in our yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to know what, what the Bible says. I agree. But what the Bible means and what the Bible says are unanimous. What the Bible means is equally as important as the verbiage used and the verse mm-hmm. cited. Yep. What it means is is what the Bible says as well. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> I often think of Genesis 22 uh, when the Gospel. But what's interesting and why why you can't really go there per se for Paul's use here is because this is before that. This is yep. well before that. Before yep. before Isaac is even born.
1: Yep, this is this predates Isaac. This yep. predates circumcision. This predates mm-hmm. all of those things.
0: So, so after Isaac, you have, and Isaac probably is an older boy, yep. at least in his twenties. Oh yeah, yeah, so, the lad, yeah, the lad. Mm-hmm. So, um, the picture of the gospel there is clear as day, and right? Abraham sees it, and he sees it because he sees Christ there. Yeah, he sees I think Christ, That's it. how. That's how in that particular yeah. usage in the mm-hmm. New Testament, yeah. he saw my day and he rejoiced. Yeah, mm-hmm. that being said, though. What he believes in this justification is that God has made a promise and he'll fulfill it. Yeah, he, he believes uh, the Christ. He believes in the Christ, Jesus the Christ. He just doesn't The seed know that's going to come from his own body. He just doesn't know him by name. So that's the reason John the Baptist is the greatest apostle among men, because he points at his finger and says, right there is the Messiah. Mm. He heralds him by sight. That's what makes him greatest.
1: Well, you see faith demonstrated in, in Genesis 22 yeah. specifically. Um, it seems all indications here indicate that Abraham had confidence. Hmm. Uh, One, he he still believed that all the promises that had been made about Isaac were going to be fulfilled, and they were going to be fulfilled through Isaac, and he had total confidence in that. Even as he was going up to Mount Moriah, he says to his servants.
0: When you think about why was he so confident, well, because he had another seed. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, it's the providence of God in Abraham's life, Mm -hmm. also for our benefit. Everything written down for our instruction. Yeah, like he had to be it. Mm-hmm. That that was I and the lad will return. That's the to thing. You. Yeah. It's it's easily overlooked that it's not just Abraham and Sarah are going to have another child. They couldn't believe they had the one. So he he had to be it. They already had another option, and yeah. the Lord said Th- no. That's a picture of rever- resurrection as well when He says yeah. I will return with the lad. Yeah, yeah. like you were going to say. I think. Yeah. Well, that yeah. I mean, I will return. I will. Ret- he
1: tells his servants, I will. You would. Yeah. The, the boy and I will return to you. I stole that from you. Yeah. yeah. But
0: Even though he was going to plunge a knife in his heart. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he probably, he, he was confident that Isaac would be resurrected. Yeah. You know I right? mean, yeah. that, that mm-hmm. he, he knew, because I think you're right. I don't think he was thinking, well, God will give me another child. I don't think that's really. I no. Don't know. no, 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 no. <laughs> absolutely not. That's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't was, believe they got the one. <laughs> yeah. That, it, well, I mean, you know, Abraham was a, a hundred and yeah. Sarah was 90. He, he getting up there. Yeah, I mean,
0: that's... (laughs) 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 The the New Testament says his body was as good as death. He's way up there. He's way up there. The yeah. barrenness of Sarah's womb for her entire life. <laughs> yeah. It's not that she was just old; it's that she was barren the whole time. Yeah, you know? I mean, they
1: had a lot of time at that point mm-hmm. for for a child to have come, and and, and a child never came. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. definitely that man. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, yep, yep. To- <laughs> I would say that probably would be. I mean, it, <laughs> it's 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 <laughs> one of those where naturally the limit has been reached, yeah. right? We we have we
0: have, yeah. we
1: have hit the wall here.
0: Yeah. So so point six. I'll I'll say this, and then you can add whatever you, we'd like. Point six is saying that the substance of all covenants inside the Bible is Christ. That Christ is the picture and the purpose of all of those things. Christ is seen there. He's grasped. He. When it says that the Old Testament saints, that doesn't mean they're aloof. They don't understand what's going on. Yeah. And somehow they're grafted in. He's saying, right here in the confession, what's being confessed is that all Old Testament saints knew Christ, knew the Messiah in a saving relationship with him. Not in the fullness of what you and I have, but in, in what... Is revealed at the time, so I'll say that. I mean,
1: you have to look at like for them. I think certainly Paul takes that viewpoint. I mean, you know, he specifically <laughs> yeah. says that the rock that followed the children of Israel in the desert was was well, that was Christ. Yeah, right? they
0: were all baptized into Moses, including the yeah.
1: So I mean, that was basically, you know, that was basically into Moses. Yeah, uh-huh. that was basically the <laughs> grace of Christ upon them at that time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, um, there's a there is a textual thing. With the verse I'm thinking of, wherever it is, it's um, that Christ led His people out of the wilderness. Um, mm. the, yeah, the I don't, I don't know, where, yeah, yeah, I don't know where about. yeah, yeah, I don't know the citation, I but I know what you're referring to. Yeah, it's uh, it's the, a direct, not God generically, but Christ. Right. You know, led His people out of Egypt through the wilderness through the Red Sea. That it was Him specifically. Yeah.
1: But I think you get that picture, like, take, for example, Hebrews 11. I think that's a pretty clear indication that justification, you know, was always by faith because that's literally the refrain, right? You know, you go... Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for
0: he looked to the reward. I mean, that's amazing. By faith, his faith... uh, is the sole instrument of his justification? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? like that's what they're saying. He's yeah. being justified by faith. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And, and, that and faith producing, is producing, producing these works. Producing these yeah. works. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and that's so. not uh, that's a implicit faith in Christ. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I want you to say. That's not a general faith. That's so, a faith in Christ. I think what's easily missed, and it can get a little like mystical. Okay, can, but it's not. <laughs> it is that it was it actually doesn't have to. You're saying it doesn't have to. Yeah. It can. Uh, but the Old Testament Christophanies, mm. of which I think I would argue loosely, loosely, mm. that all theophanies or Christophanies in the Old Testament can't be proved. I would agree with that. Yeah. I
1: would probably. Uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest issues is, I mean, if you're talking about seeing God, we know that um, no, one's seen, no God. one's seen God. That's God the Father. The only exception I would say probably is um, specifically when... Um, Moses asks Yahweh to reveal his glory. I think that probably was he was speaking directly to the Father and the Father Hmm. uh, forbid him to see his face because Hmm. of that fact. I think think that's the one exception I would probably take to that Mm. Um, but by and large, if especially if it's a bodily appearance, mm. that's the Son that they are seeing. Yeah, which um, is also Yahweh
0: in and of yeah. itself. But that, that's a different conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> making the distinction between yeah. the Father and the Son in I'm the economy. To, yeah. I'm
1: trying to keep these right. uh, things distinguished in the economy. Yeah, huh,
0: there you go, for sure. That's that's good of you. We like the econ- the, the economic trend. The, the economical, the economical one. Working itself out. Yeah, yeah. So, crossed in the burning bush. So when we say Moses doesn't have what we have, that's accurate. Yeah. But he does have what we have. He substantially has it. Yeah. He, he doesn't that, have it in its fullness and understanding, which we do. Yeah. But he has it in substance. Yeah, and he's saved the same way. Because because salvation and redemption is progressive. Yeah.
1: But there is something that there is a blessedness, I think we have to recognize, to being in the new covenant versus uh, to being in the old. Oh, I for mean, sure. I think yeah. especially yeah. Hebrews makes that point as well in Hebrews 11, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in verse 37 on, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destituted, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Amen. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made Perfect apart from us. Mm. Yeah,
0: he's there in type. So you wanna yeah. you wanna touch on uh, <laughs> you wanna touch on how we as Baptists see Covenant theology. Oh, gosh. And we still agree. How many hours has it been? It's two two fifteen. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, no, probably not <laughs> then. We got another two hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean so Christ So hang on, hang on. Yeah. Here's what I would say. Yeah. Is that by and large, covenant theology we agree with a reformed generic covenant theology. And I think we've proven that by what we've said here, even though that's not really directly what's addressed here. It kind of is at the same time. So as opposed to seeing the, the worst extreme of anti-covenant theology is that people were saved different, right? Yeah. I would say that's really the, the fruit of death mm. of theology proper. And the whole deal it falls apart when you say yeah. uh, in the old Testament, they were saved by obedience to law. Yeah. Okay. So, anybody that doesn't say that as much as they may d- deny is somewhat of a covenant theologian. Somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah. So you can still be dispensational and and believe that people were always saved the same. Right. But it's not really consistent. Yeah.
1: Well, I would say with when it comes to covenant theology, especially we're talking about um, Baptistic versus Presbyterian covenant theology. I mean, it's a matter of nuance to some degree. Yeah. Um, with regard, and largely it has to do with what is the covenant. Um, you know what is the co- what constitutes the covenant of grace? Yeah. Um, where does that begin? I mean, certainly Presbyterians would actually argue that that um, the Mosaic covenant was fully and substantively a covenant of grace. So we would we would probably disagree with that in that regard. Mm. That that's that's an old covenant. Some aspect.
0: some would some would say that. So when we think of Baptist versus Presbyterian, there's not one there. You have two overarching statements of which have nuances upon nuances. So you've got the, the you've got the uh, administrations or you've got topological covenants. right? That's the difference, I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really more, uh, you know, whether it's one covenant under two administrations mm. or whether there are two distinct covenants. Yeah. That, that's really fundamental. The, that's probably the most fundamental district that's the fundamental. Yeah. And I'm trying to be careful here because there's a lot of nuance in this. I it, mean, and
0: there's some language in which I would accept administration, understanding the substance yeah. is the same. So you can use administration, but not administration in the sense that they use it, I don't yeah. think.
1: Yeah. So I mean I would yeah again I'm trying to be I'm trying to be as fair to my Presbyterian brothers as I yeah. can because I love them and um, yeah. you know as far as that goes again I think there is a ton of nuance here when it mm. comes to this here, this issue. Yeah. Here's what I
0: often see Agreed. from the Presbyterian side is that basically they they see you as dispensational to the best of your ability yeah to articulate that you're not saying anything like that it's either agree with us. The two administration model mm-hmm. or be not a covenant theologian, yeah. And I think what we're saying is we're just like you, you're wrong on this particular thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how how would you define this particular thing? This particular thing is in Christ's typologically there, uh, inside of the old t- inside of the old covenant in promise and type, and he's substantively here, as in accomplishing those sub- the, of those pictures and types in the New Testament inside of time so in the same way that so they come to us so the old testament comes to us presbyterians say we go to them that's the difference that's the difference i'm saying here yes if that makes sense they come to us we don't go to them that's the blessedness of the new testament which they would say that in some aspects as well but as far as their yeah, there's a lot of new driving hermeneutic it's back forward ours is forward back I would
1: say there's just a there's a greater sense of continuity that the Presbyterian model holds to, which is that there is this idea right. that's this fundamental idea that uh, the covenant of grace is the Abrahamic is the Abrahamic covenant, is the, Abrahamic covenant yeah. is the Mosaic covenant that it extends all the way through that 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 was one administration of that covenant mm-hmm. and you know I don't know that you can necessarily keep that as a full continuity there that, that you right. could draw those full continuity between those two mm-hmm. realities um, I think. I think one thing Hebrews makes it very clear. We we are, we are the inheritors of something that is new Mm. and something that is fully better. Yeah. Um, Mm. And I think that's, that's something that has to be maintained. And that's why we would argue fundamentally that the idea that the covenant of baptism is a direct parallel to the covenant of circumcision is is flawed because it is not an administration of that same right. covenant it is a distinct covenant separate and unto itself yeah
0: mm. agreed so we would say it's topological in nature substantively in conversion but yeah. somehow we also agree with them that <laughs> right and that's yeah. the nuance is that you're correct and that people are always saved the same yep. god's mm-hmm. always been saving the elect through the covenant of grace there's not a special
1: right. way there's not a special israel yeah. path I mean, there's not
0: there's not that... Um... I think, yes, I think Presbyterians, they're that form of theology. Paedo-Baptist theology. Covenant theology. John Owen would articulate it. So there's different articulations as far as those things. But I think you're logically left that Christ is substantively there under things. So that this is Christ administered substantively in the animal sacrifice, but he's under it. Versus a Baptist would say, it's placeholder and is typological for substance that is to come i think logically you're left with the, the, the as in there's not typological nature there but it's under those things now they wouldn't all agree with that nor i would i force that upon them but i don't see how there's a distinction without a difference there
1: i mean there was salvation by faith in the old covenant but there was also i mean these covenant signs they weren't in and of themselves a covenant of grace but yeah. they pointed, pointed typologically towards, yeah towards the reality of but grace. But Christ
0: is grasped there through typological things. So they, yeah. they see the typological nature of it and say this is Christ to come in the new covenant versus this is Christ now. If that so really sense. there's kind of two conversations. One is the covenant conversation, how they all relate. Mm. And then circumcision and baptism almost stands alone. That Now it's justified uh, yeah. because of the way they see the covenants, but still this idea of like we use this uh, model of covenant application to children because it was done then yeah so you're substantively still in the Abrahamic covenant and that doesn't terminate and bring forth Christ that is Christ in that old administration and they would argue that it's better in the sense of it still includes children and if it doesn't it can't be better as far as the covenant (laughs) yeah. yeah I, just, yeah. I think they just they 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 have a they're starting
1: from a different place and that's what leads them to a different they're, they're, conclusion. They're
0: starting with a practice and looking for a justification. In my opinion,
1: that would be. I mean, I, <laughs> I I I I try to be charitable here in this situation, but you know, to me, I've I've read a number of theologians who advocate for paedobaptism, and some of them do have better arguments than others no oh, agree um, you yeah. know i think um i think Burkhoff did i i think personally i think Burkhoff did a very good job arguing for um for uh baptism of, of children yeah. paedobaptism. baptism mm-hmm. but even still i don't find his uh, arguments ultimately convincing because i think really ultimately what we're trying to do here is we're trying to find a way to shoehorn something into the scripture which isn't actually there Yeah. Um, You know, there's there. It it, it all goes on the presumption that this had to be done this way, that that baptism couldn't have been done by immersion on the day of Pentecost because there wasn't enough water around to do that or that or something along those lines or (laughs) that um, that that um, there had to have been infants in the house you know in the house of phoebe or or whichever Ooh. house or the house of cornelius or, yeah. or 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 whatever the case may be there there had to have been mm-hmm. and it's just well <laughs> if they did they also believed and they also rejoiced too Good. i mean but I agree. but you know it's it's one of those where you know it, 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 a lot of it a lot of it hinges on these ideas and i think again part of it goes back to the construction of the covenant theology does is what becomes the fundamental driver of allowing that to be practiced. And so that's really where I think the main argument ultimately really falls. Yeah. I would I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I mean there there is nuance there. And I, I think we by and large we, we agree more than we disagree. Oh, on there's, those there's we so do
0: so much. The Reformed Baptists do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Reformed Baptists do. <laughs> Just saying now, yeah. we, not
1: yeah, that most Baptists don't. I right. think we're often yeah. we're often just point. lumped yeah. in
0: together as Baptists. Yeah. Okay. So I think we could have
1: had that conversation 150 years ago and said, you know, we mostly agree. We, we can't really have that conversation now. Nah, so
0: yeah. uh, traditional, what what's been recently brought. Forth is the is this idea of the federalism from taught from the framers of the confession, hmm. which would be more typological in nature and less substantive. Uh, for a majority, after that, what's been lost is you had the uh, articulation of covenant theology that would say that under this administration of the covenant of grace that Christ administrates himself, uh, you just have a distinction for believers' baptism. I think. I think what's articulated in the other position is that it's a whole different articulation. As in, we're we not saying these are different administrations. We're saying they're different. Covenants are typological. Yeah. And the covenant of grace is the New Testament. So you've got distinctions there. So you, there's nuances upon nuances upon nuances, and there's not one position. That's what I want you to hear. You have broad formulations of which bring unity, but there's this is such a big topic that you're going to have to have a lot of nuances. Yeah. And so what we agree on is, all people through all time are saved by the same covenant yeah. mm-hmm. and through the same operation of the Trinity. Yep. W- what I think that it teaches is that Christ is a substance in seen in all covenants. He's yep. the substance of that covenant, either in type or what's better now is complete fulfillment in sight yeah. uh, of that. Yeah, Amen. Good. Amen. Anything else to say on point six? <sighs> no. I think we've said too much. I think yeah. We said a lot. I think we said a lot of stuff. You said a lot. We got off. We got. Well, that's good. It's good that you formulate covenant theology because it's so important. It's important to see those things. You do seem pretty concerned with it. Yeah, I know. yeah. It's good. Does it make you post mail as well? Um, no. Thanks for bringing that up though. <laughs> what's adoption. Com- what? That's what's coming up. That's you you coming made up me do that. I didn't even yep. ask. <laughs> that's adoption. Wow. Adoption's coming up. I will say adoption is how you know you're dealing with a high-level confession when they have a chapter on that. Not common. does not just the London Baptist have that mm, I don't know. No, I don't think. No, so. I think the Westminster has no, no, I think okay. the other two have. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it came straight from
1: the Westminster. Yeah, but oh, okay. Come Dornous. back.
0: Come back next time for adoption.